You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 211 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. I am Matt and I'm joined today by Dave. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Good evening, chaps. Now, you, you're noticing a change to the usual host. I, I'm taking the reins this week, and that's because Dave has been strucken down by some kind of plague of Nurgle and uh, yeah. has been coughing for most of the night. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Nur- Nurgle's got their, their hands on me, um, so I'll be here between uh, coughing. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm alive, I'm here. That's the most important thing. He's here in spirit, if not in presenter mode. But we've got an awesome show this week. So we have got a couple of core interviews lined up. We're going to be chatting to Steve Foot, and we'll be chatting to Gary from Dark Fantastic Mills about the uh, the new Chaos Citadel Kickstarter for the new Dark Fantastic Mills scenery range. So that's really, really cool. And we're also talking to Isaac Childress, the uh, creator of Gloomhaven and Frosthaven, about uh, those games and what's on the horizon for them. So that's super exciting. But that's not it, guys. We're also going to be chatting a little bit about the LVO preview, uh, because I think we, we were all emptying our wallets in anticipation of that one, weren't we? And uh, I, know, I, know, I know Jay, for one, is, uh, is now got his heart set on a new, a new uh, project. We'll be talking about that a bit later in the show. And of course, we'll have our top threes and your top threes. So, yeah, stick around for later in the show to hear to that. But before all of that, let's start with the uh, the traditional hobby updates. I'm going to hand to Dave because I don't <laughs> have to do that often. So, uh, Dave, what have you been working on in the last couple of weeks since last Ooh. show? Oh, this is this is refreshing. Um, so what have I been working on? It's mainly been Cadians. Um, some stuff I can talk about, aka Guardsmen, and some some stuff I can't talk about. Um, but um, that's that's not really all I've been doing in the hobby. Uh, I've also Hot on the heels of myself and Matt attending uh, Warhammer World a couple of weeks ago, um, I decided to paint a Chaos Warrior in the colours of Nurgle for Age Ooh. of Sigmar. Uh, and I tell you what, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you know what? So we, we went to the doubles and had an amazing time playing five awesome games of Warhammer. And mm. I think after every game, because it was doubles as well, there was multiple armies you were toying with, wasn't there, Dave, over the course of the weekend? It happens every time I go to a tournament. I can't help it. I, I almost have to come away with a battle time every time I go to Warhammer World. Um, That's what's yeah, good at those events, though, is you get to see a lot of other armies, don't you? You get a lot of inspiration. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you got to play against the... Um, the, the armies in question as well didn't you yeah we did yeah we did play some chaos um and we, we also played some armies that I've, I've not played or or have used for a while like the caradrons uh deep kin um there's some really mixed and, and and fun games and i'll tell you what matt we didn't do too badly you know what but by the second day when we'd actually read like the rules we, we were getting pretty good we, we did quite well on the two on yeah. the, the, the games on the second day yeah um, I, I, I feel maybe we should have got more practice with the new season. The new season hadn't been out long. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of finesse to the missions in, mm. in picking your order. And there's quite a few um, battle tactics that compose around getting Galician champions onto objectives. And obviously mm. they're quite squishy and small and sometimes they're harder to get later in the game. So 
we'd kind of worked out kind of our ideal order, hadn't we, by the second day? And yeah. we almost managed to nail every battle tactic. Unfortunately, I think if we'd have just got a few more points in a couple of games, um, turn one, we could have been like top five, Dave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we we, we, we really should have read up what we were doing. And also, I, I'd taken along the uh, a mixed Skaven force while Matt had uh, the Head Knights of Slaanesh. And um, you, you mentioned Galatian tra- champions are obviously a little bit squishy. Well, we've got the squishiest of squishy characters. We have. So um, they didn't stick around for very long, unfortunately. But um, yeah, three, three losses on day one were, were swiftly followed by two victories. Uh, on day two and what was really humbling was the amount of um favorite army and, and player votes that we got at the the end of the the weekend because it was a throne of schools doubles so the, the those kind of those part of the scoring uh are, are super important as well uh and it actually lifted us into the was it the top 20 top five 20, i think we're like that yes, yeah we, yeah because we only won, won two games we did okay so i was really happy with that um yeah with some really fun list oh, shout out in particular to the uh, Caradron army with a converted Marienburg landship mm. as the flagship, it was beautiful, wasn't oh, it? The old Ford yeah. World kit. It, 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 rather than rather than a um, like a carry case, he had like a treasure chest that it's all slotted into. Mm. Huh. It was superb, and his his um uh, his ally um had a, a deepkin army where they'd used a lot of like resin on the base to give the appearance of like um jumping out of the sea and stuff they had like little like bits of coral and things within the resin and it looked it looked really nice yeah no, it was a really, really really cool weekend and had fun against all our opponents so so yeah so so dave that, that is your hobby work i'm gonna jump in there because it kind of segues nicely into yours so Obviously, the, the the doubles we planned on doing something a bit different and getting a, a new Slaves of Darkness army working. Unfortunately, I've been jumping between review thing to review things. I haven't really had the chance. However, that does mean I got the opportunity to paint the brand new Angron, Demon Primarch of the World Eaters. And i got to say, he is a beaut. You've, you've seen him in the flesh now, haven't you, Dave? And he's, uh, he's a big chap, isn't he? He is. A, well, you say he's big. Um, he's actually a little bit smaller than both of his brothers, um, I, I think. But they do have massive wings opening out. Um, his aren't quite as open. But he's a super nice kit. And it, I like the fact that, um, it, you know, he is Angron. He's he's not a bloodthirster with a few add-on bits. He, he is distinctly himself. Uh, and I can't wait to see what he does on the battlefield. Yeah, I mean, you, you say that. You can, you can build him without his armour on as well if you want him to look more bloodthirstery. So oh, can yeah, yeah. Cool. and there's there's like plugs in his in his arms for where the armor panels would go on. A bit like um Abaddon, I think goes together a similar way. So yeah, he was really, really fun to paint up. Um and I'm looking forward to to painting some more world eaters. I've got some on order, but I think due to them being super popular, I'll probably get them sometime in May, I think. So uh we'll see how that Brief. goes. I've also started on a brand new project. I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole this week, guys. So I was on eBay minding my own business, and I saw a Screamer Killer, a second edition Carnifex, for a very, very good price. Now, in the past, I've, I've said to you guys when we've been walking through Warhammer World, and I've gone, oh, they're beautiful models, as I look with rose-tinted glasses at the old uh, 90s Tyranids. And yeah, so this this, this Carnifex cheap, so I got it, and then I thought, well, I wonder what else I can get. And it looks like some guy was selling most of his like 90s Tyranid, Tyranid collection, so I've got 
nine plastic old school Tyranid Warriors. I've got three metal ones that came out a little bit later. I've got a classic Hive Tyrant. I've got the classic Carnifex, the classic Lictor. I've got a Zoanthrope on the way. So, yeah, I'm basically trying to get together. In a minute, I've got enough for a thousand points, but I want by the, over the next couple of weeks, I want to have enough for at least one and a half thousand points of classic Tyranids. But I'm going to paint them up in um, uh, uh, High Fleet Beamath, Beamath, is it called? Uh, the kind of red and blue one. Yeah, that's right. Kind of like a classic scheme to them. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing them as a little side project because if the rumors are true about Tyranids coming in uh, 10th edition, I think that'd be a nice little kind of bridge of force to, to lead to that. So, yeah, really, really good fun. Um, Jay, what have you been working on? Not Botan for the first time <laughs> in a long time. Um, so, uh, well, well, on the Votan, we put the Votan to use. I was able to play my first game with the Votan at the Warhammer World Crusade event, which was the second part of the Necron Tomb. I can't remember what the name of the Crusade event was, but it was yeah. really, really cool. Um so yeah, so the army went to there, got battered. It was uh, very battle scarred by the end of the end of the event, but it was five really really cool games. Um, I think I did I, I won one, drew one, lost three, um, but I had a lot of fun. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I actually got five favorite game votes for that one as well. So I was I was really chuffed oh, with that. Nice one, Jay. Especially um, with these of Otan, it could be seen as like a, a bit of a powerful army. Maybe not yours, well, because you look well, at your uh, land fortress and it falls over, doesn't it? Well, this was it. In the, in the first game, there was a. Uh, it was really interesting. I, um, I was playing a uh, Minotaur's army, really lovely converted Minotaur's army, and they had a um, Contempt of Dreadnought, which in the Minotaur sort of lore, the the, the Dreadnoughts are called Hecatons, which is the same as obviously the Hecaton land fortress for the Votan. So it was a Hecaton versus a Hecaton, and. Um, I got, I got, I got, I took the thing down to one wound, the Contemptory, got into combat. I managed to overwatch with my mag rail and hit and, and, and took it down to one wound. However, it then proceeded to beat my um, land fortress up. Uh, and in, in that first game, I think four of my units uh, rolled one for their out of oh, action. No. <laughs> so my Hecaton land fortress uh, suffered the weakened armor battle scar, which meant that every time it was hit by a strength eight weapon, just hit, not wounded, just hit by a strength eight weapon, it took a mortal wound. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so going into the next game against the Sisters of Battle, uh, and there are they uh, retribution squads with the heavy, the, the multi melters? Yeah, yeah, and a nice squad of um, uh, retributors with multi melters and ammo cherubs. All they had to do was hit the, hit the land fortress and they took it down to half its health. <laughs> oh, and that was geez. pretty much the story of the Hecaton Land Fortress um, throughout the throughout the weekend. Um, it was a uh, it was a tr- I, I, you know I, I think that probably contributed to a lot of my losses really. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, it was really really cool to use the Votan. I'm really looking forward to using them in the um, in the Crusade that we've got coming up. Yeah, yeah. So that should be out in the next few weeks. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that. Some demons going against the leagues of Votan in game one, which is super exciting. Yeah, they've they've been repaired. So the the the, the land fort Grungni has uh, has done a bit of uh, maintenance work on the land fortress, uh, ready for that for the for the crusade. Um, so yeah, so so that's I mean it, it's 50 power level of Votan, but actually there's probably about 13, 1400 points of Votan that have been painted now. So they're going on the shelf um, because um, we've seen a few rumor engines. We suspect that probably. At some point in the future, there'll be a second wave of Votan. So I, I will cl- put, get the Votan back on the painting table when the second wave hits. Uh, and I'll just be using them in games between now and then. Uh, so it's on to my next projects. And um, 
yeah, I mean, maybe maybe we'll talk about that when we get to the LVO. But uh, okay, okay. Well, that's 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 a nice little teaser for later, then, isn't it? There cool. we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andy, you're the only one left. I feel I feel you've um, felt the power of corn pounding in your butcher's nails this week. Yeah, still am. Um, so we were lucky enough to get sent some stuff by Games Workshop to review, and I've built and painted a jackal, a corn berserker, and my new favourite corn model, um, a bloodbound, uh, bloodbound, eightbound champion um, with a big glaive. Um, absolutely gorgeous models. Um, it was very hard not to drench from a blood for a blood god paint. Um, <laughs> But yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous models. Um, and like you, I, I, I'm going to be ordering quite a few of them, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, apart from that, um, let's see. Um, me and listener of the show, Craig, um, and fellow PSU organizer, um, we ran a two day Age of Sigma event in Telford. Um, well, you guys were at the was it the Rising Tomb event you guys were at? Was yeah, it the, um, the Crusade one, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we ran a two-day Age of Sigma event, um, which was it was very enjoyable to watch. Um, and, and that was kind of the issue. Um, whenever I run an event or I'm sort of like there as an organizer, the, the hardest part is not wanting to jump in and and play a game as well. Um, but that was good fun. Um, apart from that, I've been painting up some more Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, I've painted up the model, which I think best exemplifies me, and that's the Kingpin, mostly because <laughs> he's a, a big chap with a bald head. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I've been painting him. Um, and then um, another friend of the show, um, a guy called Jason, um, me and him have been big, big fans of Kill Team, and we've been playing nothing but Space Marines versus Space Marines for the last sort of three, four months. So we decided to mix things up, and we basically got the Kill Team Compendium book, and on the back of it is like a list of all the different Kill Team factions. Um, and thankfully, there's 19 factions. So what we did was we got a D20 and just rolled it and Jason got sisters of battle. So he's been working on some sisters of battle, but I got the Kroot. and mm-hmm. for the Kroot, they have the far strider kin band. So they're currently on my painting desk as we speak and absolutely gorgeous models. I mean, there's so much detail on them, but the different operatives that you can have are, are absolutely amazing. There is a, a Kroot Pistolier, who's I think is my favourite, with um, two pistols, and he's kind of gunslinging them, um, mm. which looks amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I looked at a balanced data slate, and you need one additional Kroot operative. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to have to buy another box of Kroot. Um, Same, unfortunately. That involves painting more Kroot, though, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah, more Kroot, more Kroot hounds. Uh, what's not to love? So, um, yeah, um, I've been painting a lot of Marvel Crisis Protocol, some Blades of, not Blades of Corn, World Eaters, there you go, um, and some Kill Team stuff. So, 
Awesome. Well, I think we've had a fairly productive week, haven't we? I say week, a few weeks. But yeah, well, we've got some awesome news on the way next as well. So, up for pre-order this week, we've got Kill Team Soul Shaft. Well, that we'll be talking a little bit about later on in the show. There's £110. Alongside this, all of the unreleased Kill Teams are now available separately. So, the Kasakin... Uh, I know, Dave, you want to pick up another squad of these. Uh, they are on the way along with the Crute and the Imperial Navy Breachers, who you could take in an agent of the Imperium Army, and the Necron Hero Tech Circle. They were all up for pre-order at £35 each. Um, yeah, some really nice kits there. Yeah, I'm I'm especially looking forward. Like you say, there's, there's Karskin. Um, I want to get some more with regular um, weapons, um so i can kind of play it a little bit more competitively uh for 40k because the, the unit i have at the moment is all like mainly kitted out for kill team mm. um plus like say just want more excuse to paint more of their models yeah, exactly <laughs> well if you're into kill team there's a couple of uh scenery sets coming out as well there's kill zone gallow dark which i believe is a copy of all of the stuff that came in the kill team gallow gallow dark box just the scenery so this is half of the scenery that was in the big boarding action box, which gives you a few options. It means if you've got just one of those kill team boxes, you can buy this and combine it with your existing one to have enough for boarding action. Or if you've not started playing anything this season, you can just buy enough scenery to play a game of kill team as well. So that's pretty cool. There's also a box coming out called Shadow Vaults, which contains all the scenery from that set as well, including the automated gun turret and stuff which is really, really cool. Along with that, all of the books so far are being released, along with some dice. Now, I've noticed something weird with dice. Um, you used to get 20 dice in a pack for £22, I want to say. Uh, dice now come in 15 sets. Hmm. 15. So you're losing five dice and the same price. No, uh, that sucks. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame, that. 15 dice doesn't feel enough to play most GW games either. No. no. So, That's strange. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, recession and all that. More, more of that later. Um, there's also something that people have been really excited for: the Void War bases. So this has got uh, 25 mil bases, uh, 20 off, 20 32 mil bases, 20 40 mil bases, all modelled after the Gallo Dark scenery along with a load of gubbins that you can put on some larger bases. So you've got some grills and vents and stuff. Uh, so you haven't got the issue of having to cut up bases to make them fit for those, you know, night bases and stuff like that. Uh, this is not bad. £24 for 60 bases plus a load of gubbins. that you could easily do a, a boarding action force with. And you know what? One or two of these you could probably do a 40k army with as well. I know you're a fan of the old um, ship bases, aren't you, Dave? You're, some of your Tyranids are on them. They were, yeah. I'd, I'd add um, a couple of units of Death Guard on them as well. And I'm not going to lie, I was I was a little bit tempted for my next 40k force to be using these, but um, I'm not sure. I'm not quite committed to that yet. Awesome. So I'm I'm, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to do a um, uh, kind of Army of the Imperium, uh, a Rogue Trader, and the Rogue Trader's Navy crew, and maybe some RBTs that we'll talk about later. And I might stick all these on these bases because they look they look really cool. Uh, for Warcry, we've got a new expansion on the way, Blood Hunt. Again, we'll chat about that in a bit more detail later on in the show. That's £110. And again, just like with Kill Team, all of the existing warbands that haven't been released yet are also up for pre-order. So the Hunters of Huanichi, which apparently is how you pronounce it, <laughs> told by a valuable source, uh, and the Jade Obelisk. 
Both of them are amazing warbands. The J-Doblisk are a battle line choice for your Zinch army. And then we may be talking about later on the show why people may want to pick up the Chameleon Skinks as well. Um, I think you're going to be picking up these, aren't you, Jay? Uh, I am. Sneakily picking up the Sneaky Skinks. Yeah, so they're thirty-seven fifty. Obviously, they're a little bit more than the uh, the kill team ones because they come with all the cards that you need to play kill team as well. Which again is good for you, Jay. You've got a Warcry. out of the box. Oh, sorry, Warcry. You've got yeah. out of the box Warcry Warband ready to go, which is exciting. And then finally, in the pre-orders, there's something that very much excites me, and I might need to order like nine boxes of these. The Sky Hunter Squadron for the Horus Heresy. These are the Scimitar jet bikes. Thirty-seven pound fifty for a box of three modular jet bikes which i believe is less than a single one costing resin yeah <laughs> <laughs> so making it more uh, the jet bikes are a funny one in heresy because they're only one wound i think they're only toughness four um yeah. they're arguably not as good as they used to be but there's some nice rights of war that use them and we've seen some beautiful fully mounted white scars armies haven't we and i want to yeah i want to do that i've got some um ebon keshig which will probably go in a flyer or some description and then the rest of the army's jet bikes pretty much so i might need a couple of boxes of these so looking forward to checking those out soon but yeah we've had some cool news over on um warhammer community over the last couple of weeks as well uh, one of my favorite ones which just made me think of dave automatically was a guide on how to pronounce Warhammer words. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Astramilitarum. Just, yeah, Astramilitarum. Uh, the, 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 the Warmaster, the, the, the spoiler, is Abaddon, not Abaddon. And stuff like that. So if, if, you're, if you're not sure into, into Warhammer words, Warhammer words, check that out because uh, it's, it's quite a fun little video they've put together. Now, we've been chatting about boarding action, and I think it's seems to fun line. I think it's been fairly popular with the community as a nice way of having a small army fighting over the, the confines of a, of a spaceship. And I know, Jay, you're keen to play this, too. I am, to, yes. to support that, they've got three new boarding patrol boxes. Now, I believe these are £65 each. I don't know when they're out, but I'd say soon, probably. Um, we've got a Necron one, which looks really, really good. You get three Ophidian destroyers in it, ten uh, Lich Guard, which you could also build as Praetorians, and ten Necron Warriors. Um, yeah, that looks really good for, for for sixty-five quid, doesn't it? Because those um, the Lich Guard, I think, are twenty-five quid for five. So you've got fifty Ooh. quid's worth of stuff there. So yeah, really, really cool. Um, if you play Tyranids, which some people around the table may be playing at the minute. <laughs> Again, another really, really nice one. Uh, it comes with six Tyranid Warriors, a Broodlord, and eight of those terrible old Gene Stealers, which I hope go away soon. But even if you just immediately put them on eBay or the bin, um, I think it's still it's still probably worth it for the, the Tyranid Warriors and the uh, the Broodlord in there. And you know what? I joke that they're, they're passable, the current Gene Stealers, but I really hope they do get um, updated in the near future. And then finally, and this is possibly... The, um, the the best one out of the ones that they've showed off, uh, a Grey Knight's one. Castellan Crow, five Grey Knight Terminators, and ten um, Purifiers, are they? The the, the, the Power the Armor guys? Power Armor ones, yep. So, yeah, it's a pretty good box. <coughs> yeah, I'd say that's the best of the three. Yeah, so, yeah, some pretty good deals there. Now, if we, if we cast our mind back a while ago, the Old World was announced. Uh, we know this is a kind of a remake, for want of a better word, of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. There's rumours that this may show itself for the 40th anniversary. But, um, yeah, on Warcom, they shared some details that, yes, 
the Tomb Kings are going to be in the game. And they shared some kind of lore and information on them. I know the rumour mill has been shown and a lot of Facebook groups are panicking about the last update. It was very um, Empire heavy, wasn't it? And a lot of people were worried it might just be you can only play it as the Empire at launch. That's not the case. The, the Tomb Kings are there. They've mentioned dwarves and orcs and goblins and stuff in the past. So I think it's safe to say that all our factions are going to be represented. I, I, the question mark is how quickly all those are going to get models, isn't it, really? But they have said if you've got an existing fantasy battle army, you'll be able to bring it along. So that's pretty cool. What's also cool is a pair of awesome halfling players that have been revealed on Warcom today. Uh, Cindy Piewhistle who is, a, is, is kind of like a pie, and she's ready to throw a pork pie, which is obviously the, the ultimate Blood Bowl weapon. And then there's Puggy Bacon Breath, who not only <laughs> has possibly the greatest name in all of Blood Bowl, he's also got a sub that he's kind of just kind of spinning on his, his finger like a ball. Yeah, I'm going to have to get these because, I mean, food and Blood Bowl combined sounds pretty good to me. Um, her, her, her pies... Apparently, they've got a secret um, secret ingredient, and apparently the secret ingredient is explosive, so fair enough. <laughs> Gunpowder. <laughs> Gunpowder, yeah. Uh, moving from the gridiron to the, the, the grim darkness of uh, the Horus Heresy, we saw one of the outstanding uh, traitor uh, Astartes units that had been represented within the book, but we've not had any model to represent him. Uh, and that is the uh, Esoterist console. So this is a special console, which um, basically they're a member of the Warrior Lodges, I cannot say. And they have been trained in the ways of communicating with the uh, the Neverborn, which is possibly a terrible mistake, but I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm, I'm sure they've definitely had all the required training and they're not going to get eaten by big gribbly demons. Now, the only thing that you get through with this one, so this guy's a way of it basically opens a rift and you can use that to deploy your demonic allies to the table. Unfortunately, at the minute, we've got no rules for said demonic allies. <laughs> but hopefully this is a sign that surely when this model comes out, we'll get rules for demons. I really hope so. <laughs> I can just picture him on the battlefield opening up a pause, about to take a charge from the enemy. Reinforcements will be here any second, any second. Where are they? <laughs> um, though there is, a, there is a use for him if you're not opening rifts and, and summoning demons because he's got a really nice psychic power void darts it's got an 18 inch range it's assault 12 <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's got the santic rule which means it always wounds demons on a 2 plus and um, invulnerable saves by, by demons need to be re-rolled it's got deflagellate uh, strength 5 AP4 that seems pretty brutal uh, that'll take down any demon, really, won't it? Wounded on yeah. the two plus. Yeah. So you know the, the warmaster's not silly. He's got guys that can summon demons, and then tools to deal with them in case the demons inevitably turn on their masters, <laughs> ready to eat their faces off. So I quite like that, and it's it's a really powerful weapon. But because it's a traitor-only weapon, you're only really going to get the benefit from traitor-traitor kind of fights, which is interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um. So yeah, so pretty cool. Now. We're all fans of limited edition models, and this year's um, event exclusives have been announced. And I think Dave, again, probably wants to buy both of these. Uh, We have got an awesome Astra Militarum Commissar with his sword in a stone, standing kind of upright in his trench coat, ready to shoot some 
poor guardsman for disobeying orders. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a really nice commissar, isn't he? He's he's really nice. What what I like about him is quite a few of the old ones are very ornate. They're, they're wearing very complicated, you know, very fancy jackets. This one is a lot more. Um, Oh, can we say like he's wearing a uniform which is fit for a battlefield? He, he's he's not too ornate, this guy. And I know it's not the most um, awe-inspiring pose, but I think it, it. You know, he's a commissar. It's it's what he does. He he stands there. He looks stern and he shoots you if you dare run away. He doesn't look happy, does he? Absolutely not. This guy will be available to buy at any events this year. I suspect that anyone with the um. The kind of well, I forget what it was called. Like the VIP ticket to um, Warhammer Fest gets two models included. So Andy, I think we'll probably be getting both of these models. The second model is a new Dark Oath uh, chieftain, Tolgar Split Eye. Kratos, isn't it? Pretty <laughs> much, pretty much. He looks amazing. I I'd love them to see them flesh out the Dark Oath stuff. I know we've got all the Warcry warbands, but like, uh, they're, they're all kind of like different war bands aren't they i'd like to see a kind of a thematic kind of like chunk of an army in this kind of vibe i think it'd be really i nice. agree i think these the dark are, are especially interesting yeah i do like them they're like a replacer for the marauders really yeah we saw it was it one of the first war cry war bands or was it one of the first underworld it might be in the underworlds wasn't it that sort of started that dark oath sort of theme off. yeah i think there's been two there's two models as well in the in the um Slaves of Darkness range as well, two heroes. So we've got another hero here. But yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see Marauders replaced with a Dark Oath tribe or something, and then have an army sub build where you could just do them. It's weird. Really cool. It's weird. I didn't really have any interest in the Dark Oath until I picked up the Slaves of Darkness um, book. Uh, absolutely, I think I'll be aiming for more of a chaos heavy block of warriors. Um, but the Dark Oath definitely appeal. The the book has really pushed me in that direction. Well, I think there's a, um, is it Warhammer Plus? They did a, um, a Ham and Bolt episode dedicated to the Dark Oath, and that is awesome. It's very good if you want to look at Dark Oath stuff. Yeah, well, I'll I'll be picking this one up. I'm gonna have to pick up two because there's alternate heads as well, and you know I'm a sucker for that, aren't I? So yeah, roll on, roll on events. Now we've got some serious serious news now today. Uh, Warhammer Community shared. On the 6th of March, Games Workshop will be increasing their prices by 6% due to the general skip fire that is the economy. Um, <laughs> so obviously, this is, this is a bit of a shame. I guess the silver lining is that it's only 6%, which is a tad lower than the current rate of inflation, which is tracking a bit higher than that. Now, some stuff isn't changing. So starter set, so that includes any um, core box and any like combat patrol, vanguard box, anything like that. They're not changing in price. Arguably making those boxes better value. Uh, paint sets, paint pots, citadel tools, all books and synthetic brushes are not changing in price. So that's the good news. The bad news is uh, spray paints are going up 6%. Plastic miniatures are going up 6%. That's all plastic miniatures. Forge World and Citadel Resin miniatures are going up 6%. And then all standard and Artificer brushes are going up as well. So if you do have any big purchases to do, especially from Forge World, or, you know, say if you want to buy a uh, Lord of Schools, Andy, 
if you buy it before the 6th of March, you'll save yourself 6% on it. And obviously mm. that, that'll probably get passed on to any um, third party retailers as well. So yeah, it's, it, it sucks, but it could be worse. Couldn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, it could, it could be worse. Um, any price increase stings a little bit. You never hear about the decreases, do you? When the world sort of returns to a bit more normality. Um, yeah, these things happen. You just gotta be a bit more, you know, make sure you really want that kit. Yeah. So um, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't impact people too much. But yeah, an example they give is that a Sisters of Battle, uh, Battle Sisters Squad, currently costs thirty six pounds. That'll go up for thirty seven fifty. So relatively, the small increases, obviously on your bigger kit, a lot of schools will go from a hundred pounds to one hundred and six pounds. Which is, uh, I, I suspect they'll probably round it to 105. So we might see some fluctuations. As ever, once we know the details of that, I'll do a bit of a deep dive into kind of the curve of those uh, price increases. And finally, I had to include this. It's not Warhammer related, but it is amazingly cool. On the 8th of March, Lego will be releasing um, one of the biggest kits they've ever done. A 6,167 piece version of Rivendell including 15 <laughs> minifigures this thing is massive um seriously guys it is 30 inches wide which is probably bigger than most of your desks 20 inches deep and 16 inches tall um it looks phenomenal it's going to cost 429 pounds 99 um so it's expensive and you'll probably need a dedicated room in the house to display it but oh man I really want this, but I don't know where I'd put it. Uh, Jay, I think you've had a similar dilemma, haven't you? I've already um, put it onto my birthday. Um, I've, got, I've said to my family <laughs> and Amy, look, you all need to chip in for my birthday present this year, and you need to buy it two months early. <laughs> <laughs> where are you going to put it? Have you got anywhere you can fit it? Um, I'm thinking we can probably, um, if I like move the fridge... And the oven, I think I can put it, like, use a bit of the kitchen to display. I don't think we need that part of the kitchen. No, you don't need that. Just take the dining room table. People don't need a dining room table. Just put it Because what there. I'm thinking, that's it, move the table, and then when I finish with the box, we can eat dinner off the box. So it should exactly, be big enough. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, this this looks really cool, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what this looks like in the flesh. So, yeah, some uh, some exciting news there. Um, we'll be back shortly chatting to Steve and Gary about dark fantastic mills so we'll see you in a minute so regular listeners to the podcast will know i'm a big fan of painting up terrain and uh, we've got some special guests on today talking about a rather massive piece of scenery that's popped up on kickstarter recently so we've got steve foot and gary marshall from dark fantastic mills how are you doing guys very thank good thank you yeah, very good. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for coming on. So uh, in case anyone out there doesn't know what you both do, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and a little bit about Dark Fantastic Mills? Uh, I suppose I should go first. Uh, Gary Marshall, I am uh, a designer and creator at Dark Fantastic Mills and I've been making scenery for about five years now. Gosh, that long. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> yeah, I have to say it's quite good fun. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I'm supporting Gary on this. I'm not an official employee. Um, I'm a sort of special consultant brought in, been flown in um, 
<laughs> but, but, but you were at one point, so that's actually true. I, yeah, it's actually true. Yeah, I did go north of the wall and risked everything <laughs> to to go to Scotland. Um, yeah, and so I've uh, I'm coming on to help with social media content, uh, sharing the load on making images, models, and uh, sharing social media stuff. I'm just going through this whole journey of learning what Kickstarter is and how it works on the other side. I've backed a few things, but being on the other side of the, the fence is, uh, it's been cool, interesting, really lots to learn. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds cool. So about Dark Fantastic Mills itself, Gary, kind of obviously you, you sell terrain and, and some awesome scenery. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? Uh, yeah, so uh, I uh, set the company up after just starting to make scenery with uh, the first 3D printers I got say five or six years ago. And people liked it and people kept asking me if they could buy it. So I said yes, and I had to buy more printers. And before I knew it, uh, I was doing it you know, really quite a lot. Uh, so that's that's kind of like you know how it started, basically. And it's just sort of grown from there. Amazing. That's, that's really cool. So I guess you guys probably agree that scenery is quite important to a battlefield then. Uh, we, we, a lot of people kind of call it as the, the third player. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, I, I come at this from a background, so work in animation, still work in animation, doing stuff quite often, actually designing backgrounds and sets and locations and things. So for me, like Warhammer has always been about the table. And what's on it and how it looks and uh, not so much how to play the game <laughs> as it plays me at tournaments well no uh, but that, that's the most important part the important part is how it looks so that's that's my focus amazing i guess steve as well you from a kind of narrative gaming background we see a lot of tables at events where it's just polystyrene buildings and it, it doesn't look very inspiring what what do you like to see on a table steve I, I think for me, the, the beauty of, of Warhammer in lots of ways is that you can play it any way you like. So the models can be tokens, the scenery can be tokens in the fact that it's high enough, placed enough, whatever it needs to be. I, I love the story side. I love bringing that to life on the table. And, you know, if 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 we're going to play over objectives, it's not going to be that dot in the middle of a field that just happens to be 18 inches from two places it's going to be the tower or it's going to be the lighthouse or it's going to be the gate um, to that farm for whatever reason and I think for me I just find it so much easier to make a story when you've got the, the scenery around you, you, I mean, Gary definitely describes it as making it cinematic. And I, I totally get that. And I think it's actually, especially when you've got um, sort of new players to narrative, if you put the scenery out and they'll look at it and they'll go, well, that looks fantastic. You know, there's not a build, it's not a building in each corner and a, you know, an equal positioning of the woods. It's like, actually, I've got this big open space to cross and that's not fair. And it's like, welcome to narrative gaming. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I think that I think that's where scenery uh, really really makes it. And and I think when you start to get, um, for me, I always get a bit twitchy when you get set up, and it's like, why is this village scattered across? six by four when really it would probably go down the side of the road and and, yeah. and i think 
And I think sometimes, especially if it's like a fun game with a, with a friend or someone at the club, and you can say to them, what should we do? What should we, how should we set it up? And then if both of you are involved in that, it can still kind of be fair or it can be, well, I'm going to start in the village, but actually, you know, you can come on any table edge. So I don't, I can't just you know, barricade one end and you're never going to get to me. Suddenly I've got to try and protect all four corners of this village or whatever. So and I think, I think it, it, it starts that, that conversation with the other player. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what we see in like traditional kind of historical war games, isn't it? And I, I think people with, with the advent of like Crusade and Path of Glory, I think people are starting to get a bit more warm to, to narrative play. It doesn't necessarily need to be a fair fight. One side will get battered, but it's more about the story, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think especially when you can end up with um, me and Phil had this game where it, it, it was uh, clan rats or uh, Skaven storming this this town, and we ended up with an alleyway that was about it was about sixty millimeters wide, <laughs> and he managed to get four uh, liberators blocking this alleyway, and held up twenty clan rats like forever because they just couldn't get enough attacks. He couldn't particularly get a lot of attacks back. But they actually kind of felt like it should. Yeah. You can imagine them locking shields, locking a shield against a wall, just battering these things. And these rats were literally going to be climbing over each other, climbing, trying to climb over to get to them, but not being able to do something. And I think that's something that, you know, if you've got big open spaces, you'll never see the clam rats all yeah. around. You'll get too many attacks. Someone will get in close and be able to buff them because there's, it can get close rather than, you know, those two market stalls and a statue in the way. So, yeah, I think for me, that's where um, I mean, it doesn't have to be crowded. I think it's just considered is. is, is yeah. Awesome. So, so would you say that the, the, I guess the business of selling terrain for you, Gary, is changing now that 3D printers are becoming like cheaper, cheaper and easier to use? Uh, it, it does. I mean, the business of selling terrain has been made very complicated by other factors, obviously, in this country. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> decisions have made it quite challenging, as we said. Um, so it. Uh, it does. I mean, I think the 3D printer, well, so actually one of the things, one of the core things about Dark Fantastic Mills when I started it was that I wanted to sell the scenery. I didn't want to sell files to people, mm. um, which was the way everybody was thinking about it at the time. And the reason for that was I was realizing that the vast majority of people I knew didn't have 3D printers and probably weren't going to get them. Um, they are cheaper, but they're still you know, a 3D printer, you know, it's, it's not the sort of thing you can just have sort of running in the corner of your living room or something yeah. like that. You need somewhere to keep them. You need to look after them. They're very good. I mean, they've definitely got a lot better and it's been really gratifying to see people I know taking the plunge to get their first printer to join in the Chaos Citadel Kickstarter. And these new printers we've been getting just working out the box, which is terrific because they didn't do that five years ago, I can tell you. <laughs> they were very temperamental and uh, needed constant you know attention but i worked out or you know we worked out in the studio when we were working with 3d printers how to get pretty good prints uh at quite a reasonable speed and sort of reliability so mm -hmm. business has been based on that 
uh, and and that's really been made clear, made clear in Telesi. Like ninety five percent of our customers don't have three D printers, and um, and they kind of need somebody to be able to provide you know, good good looking scenery at affordable prices. That as Steve is pointing out, as you're discussing, helps to tell a story on the table because all the ranges as I create them. I add to them and bring in new designs so that you can have a, a table that's fully, you know, themed mm. around, you know, certain popular IPs that <laughs> discuss. But, but not so close either. I mean, that's the other thing. I really tried to make sure that everything's quite, quite unique in its own way, and uh, and also, you know, across lots of different things. So as as it's gone on, we've added scenery for that you could use for Star Wars Legion or 40k. Um, or any sort of science fiction thing, and also a lot of the fantasy scenery works pretty well in that context as well because of the yeah. designs. Awesome. So, so would selling STL files be something you want to transition to? I know you've got a couple on the website, and obviously the the Chaos Citadel mm. is. But is that? Do you think that's maybe how things might go in the future? I, I'm guessing you'd always want an element of of selling the physical models, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing the physical models, uh, partly because it's good to you know it's good it's a good design practice actually. I think I should. And to be honest, um, not to cast aspersions on anybody else's stuff, I mean, but, but uh, quite often when people ask me to print things for them from other vendors, just you know, just for friends, obviously don't, don't sell those sort of ones. Um, I find the prints quite hard work to print, uh, kind of mm. detail-wise, and often little mistakes and things, which kind of suggest that they didn't really 3D print them that much before they sold the file. They just like, well, that looks good, and it'll probably print fine. Um, so mine are designed because they're designed to print at volume for our company. Mm. They're also therefore designed to cause you the minimum amount of fuss and trouble when you're printing them and to print as quickly as possible. The worst thing, the thing that drives me nuts and we don't constantly have to do is that everybody else sells their scenery with interiors, which mm-hmm. is great if you're role playing, but isn't really it's completely mm-hmm. pointless if you're wargaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it can more than double, or sometimes triple the length of time it takes to print them. So it's quite so that kind of thing is what we're I'm, I'm sort of trying to focus on a bit with the STL files. But no, definitely, I think selling STL files is also important. We have customers and friends all over the world now, and postage is expensive. It's not very green either, sending so stuff in the box and airmailing it to people. Yeah. You can just print it at home. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah, no, so definitely Chaos Citadel, my first uh, uh, proper foray into, into doing this. That, that segues quite nicely into my next question. Let's, let's talk about the Chaos Citadel. Um, mm-hmm. I guess this is probably one of the, the largest scenery sets that you've done. Can you tell us a little bit about the Kickstarter campaign, how it was created, and you know what, what there is within the Chaos Citadel range? Well, I mean, I, I'll start off by just talking about creating it, I suppose. Um, last year, I did a Stronghold castle set for... Um, you know, for, we've worked well for an order army or something like that. Um, and on the back of that, I really wanted to do a sort of rival structure. So the Chaos Castle seemed like the obvious thing to do. So I started doing some stuff with it. Uh, but I also then started to think it would be nice to do more with it. And one of the constraints of doing everything through Dark Fantastic Mills is, you know, models have to be a certain size, so they'll fit in a box and a certain amount of weight so mm. they can be shipped. Those are all constraints, and also I don't like to try and uh, try and keep the range quite narrow, so that <clears throat> so that I mean, we're not carrying too many products and things like that. So with STL files, you can kind of do anything. So once I thought about that, 
I uh, recruited Steve to help me uh, think about how to bring it to you know the mm. Kickstarter. I think one of the things that um, Gary's kind of very modest about, um, and even though he's mentioned it a little bit here, is that his two, two things. One's his design skills, um, and I think the other thing is the, how practical the files are. And I mm. think one of my jobs I definitely saw was to, you know, I got given some samples to print. I was printing the prototypes, and I went, oh it does this and this and gary went yeah of course it does because that's how i'd make it that's cool right that's how I'd make it. so we need to tell people this because mm-hmm. i didn't know we did and, and i think i think that's where um i think that's where people that have printed some stuff that they've bought um will come back to this and go yeah okay th- this is actually simple it's strong um there's no horrible overhangs with fiddly bits uh it it does fit together i mean my printer's a few years old now it's like over three years old and i have really gained it i've printed all sorts of things on it um, okay i've replaced a bunch of parts which is what gary mentioned before and that you know you can't have star trek replicated technology <laughs> for t- 250 quid that you don't have to look after i mean really but it still it still amazes me that you can just go you know, print like I'm printing to a laser printer, and you know, hours later, you're knocking something off your glass plate, and it's like, that's a that's a that's a thing, that's a real <laughs> thing, and it didn't exist before, and it's I'm just turning these one kilo reels of things into wife maddening boxes of stuff. <laughs> well, we're actually in the in the far future now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. It never stops being amazing, actually. I, I still get incredibly excited when I finish the design, waiting for it in the morning to see it printed. It's like Christmas every time. Go I can, I can check the printer. Has it finished? Oh, my God, look at it. It's a new thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. I absolutely imagine that. I mean, um, I'm, I'm looking at them now. You, you kind of touched upon um, them fitting together really nicely. I have just read that um, they, they actually can connect in three different ways. Is that is that the... For for all the parts, yes, yeah, it's a, it's it's got a kind of universal connector system uh, where when when we see through, when we say three different ways, it's, it's simply the basic way they'll connect is through their uh, the tab and slot system that each one has. So each side of the model's got one a tab and slot that'll fit into. So the left hand side of every model fits into the right hand side of every other model. So everything in the range will daisy chain. So you can build any kind of weird castle or row of you know scenery with all the mutated parts and now the broken parts as well. But you can also add magnets to it. So quite a lot of the range on Dark Fantastic Mills is based on magnets. Because again, one of the things I realized was you want to do modular scenery. You want to build something quickly and have it hold together during a game. You don't want to be fitting tabs into each other and trying to do all that kind of stuff. So after a bit of trial and error, I realized that sort of standard six millimeter by two millimeter uh, magnets that you can buy from Amazon or wherever were strong enough. They work quite well. So we've got the Stronghold system, which is a fantasy castle, and also Firebase, which is a science fiction uh, based system, use this. So, but with this system, with the with the Citadel, I didn't want people to have to buy magnets. I just didn't feel very um, consumer friendly. And obviously, a lot of people, especially if you've got little kids and stuff, you maybe don't want those magnets around. It can be mm. problematic, to say the least, if you actually eat one. So, 
the uh, the system's designed so that it doesn't need them. But if you do want to buy the magnets and put them in, it's great. It just clicks it together and it really holds holds it really strongly. Or the last thing you can do, of course, is just glue it if you want to, which is uh, perfectly acceptable. It drives me nuts. I'd always feel like I'd want to change it around. But, <laughs> but certainly if you're a tournament organizer or something, so, you know, touching on different ways of playing. I mean, we both, I mean, I, I go to tournaments up here. don't necessarily always enjoy it, but I enjoy seeing everybody and, and, and hanging out. And um, the scenery is also designed with that in mind is so that you could, you know, glue it together into standard sort of L-shaped ruins and then just deploy on all your tables awesome yeah i think i think i definitely need to have a massive siege game like the first thing i did <laughs> built this stuff up um so for someone who's uh, maybe never used a 3d printer or they want to start printing terrain how is it easy is it for somebody to print this range you know what what kind of equipment do they need to get started i mean it's dead easy i mean they just literally just buy uh so the, the, the two standard printers I use in the studio are uh, the Ender uh, series from Creality, which is well known to anybody who looks at 3D printers because they're one of the, the cheaper but long running vendors. And they're, they're really, really good. And uh, uh, Elegoo, who everybody will know because they use their resin printers, mm. they also do an FDM range. This is an FDM printing s- system, which is the reels of plastic as opposed to resin bath printing, which is much more uh, messy and somewhat more expensive. Uh, so the, El- the Elegoo Neptune printers, now they both, you can buy both of them, the newer versions of each one for about 200 pounds if you shop around. And as I said, I have a couple of friends who bought the Creality, the Ender Neo, I think is the, is the latest version of their basic printer. And they just built it got some files off me just printed them it's perfect you didn't have to do anything it was, it was it was pretty good awesome no that's really cool so um with the with the kickstarter what kind of tiers and and packages what can people get obviously the, the files are available but if people got options of getting you know printed models as well uh yeah yeah no there's there's it's, it, we try to keep it quite simple i think because as steve was saying it's the first one that, that we've done and uh, i didn't want to make it too complicated so there's basically the standard pledge for the digital files which gets you everything all the all the stretch goals but there are also a few left of the physical ones as of talking about it tonight there's two of the sets which will get you a basic keep which is just like the the, the standard set which makes a nice sized castle for for a table for a standard kind of warhammer sized table and there's also a, a ruined version of that that we just added today there's 10 of those uh because we've unlocked so many stretch goals with all the different kind of ruined parts and broken walls and towers um people were asking about it so i just thought we'd stick some in there those will be available uh from dark fantastic mills later on uh, this mm-hmm. month, probably, obviously all the backers will have to get theirs first, so it'll probably be a couple of months before we're selling these uh, in the shop, but, but they will be will be available there. Awesome, cool. So obviously somebody um, backs for the uh, the files, uh, they'll probably be able to get theirs printed out a lot sooner and start getting them on the table. Yeah, well, in fact, well, the the course that they'll get as soon as the as soon as the Kickstarter finishes. Uh, just, oh, amazing. Well. well I say as soon as, obviously, Steve and I have to go through the, the whole 
how fulfillment works and <laughs> any of these details and all the rest of it. So a little bit of paperwork maybe. Uh, but the core set of files are all completely finished now. And uh, so they'll get those. And then the rest of them should be later on in the spring. So. Amazing. Cool. So how kind of have you have you gone like super crazy with a massive citadel just to see what you can do? Or have you got any plans to do some kind of, you know, massive board spanning fortress with these uh, pieces? I, I don't know. What about you, Steve? Have you got any plans for? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I, I think I think for me, um, I haven't necessarily got quite the army ready to exist in it yet. <laughs> um, so that sounds like a challenge already. Um, but I think that, I think for me, because people have been really great and, 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 you know, backed us and we've got so many options now for it. So, you know, it's everything from, you know, my favorite Skavens. We've got a little sewer entrance, which you can print, but also like dragon towers, and broken towers and gateways and broken gateways. So I think for me, the beauty of this is going to be, I can just go, right, I'll have two of those, one of those, a couple of them, a couple of that, a couple of this, or better get some more uh, uh, L-shaped returns so I can make it long. Oh, I've got some curves. I have a couple of curves. And I think, very quickly yeah you'll be able to do easily do you know a four foot span and then it'll be a six foot span for those siege games <laughs> uh but also i think i think you know let's you can put levels in it so we can you know put put some foam in it and then we can have a higher bit in the center um so yeah i, I think i think and i think the beauty of it, it will be is the fact that it can be okay we you know I play games with my son. He's got his vampires. Okay, well, they wouldn't have a Chaos Citadel, but they might well hang out at the ruined one. So <laughs> we'll just put the ruined parts on everything and we'll use the snow map. And, you know, they'll be hanging out in this spooky, foggy, misty ruin. And yeah, we've got to go and burn them out. Yeah, so, I'm really looking forward to seeing what people do with it, to be honest. I think, I mean, that's the best thing about doing Dark Fantastic Mills uh, <clears throat> is is seeing especially like the weekends like photographs from tournaments all over the world you just sort of go oh look there's a bit there like somebody's somebody's got a table of that stuff and people send me pictures of things it's just yeah it's just amazing what people make uh, i mean it's, it's, it's stuff like i've got three warp fire dragons because obviously warp stone skaven <laughs> worked for me so i'm gonna need three towers aren't i three three dragon platform landing towers for for, for them and i mean again you know e- even if it's um you know, it's an instant display board, isn't it? You've got a wall yeah. at the back. You've got a wall at the back there. You don't need it to be all the way around. It's just literally a wall, and you've got three towers with your three dragons on, or whatever it is. And and suddenly, you know, it's a it's a little display. It's, it allows you to add height to your display, so you can. Um, so yeah, and, and and again, I think you know people will find a piece of scenery that absolutely you know matches with their army you know if you've got you know your death guard and you've got some of the 40k components that we've got now that will kind of it's still chaos citadel Mm. but the doors are vacuum doors there's hoses there's iris valves um the 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 gates aren't creaky opening gates it's a gate now so (laughs) 
uh, that's that's my visual interpretation. <laughs> Loving the sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't actually come with the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's up to you. You have to provide the sound. <laughs> but I think I think people, like Gary says, I think people are, are gonna kind of make it their own. And uh, I mean, even things. So uh, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment is some Necromunda stuff. So I've got us I'm working. I've got a, a part of the sump. So literally, I'm going to print. I'm printing things like containers that are sunk in in the sludge. So there's absolutely no reason why I can't have a, like a small citadel sort of tower with a, with with some corners, but just print it all slightly at an angle, like it's sinking into that. Oh yeah, that's cool. Because I I can control it. You know, you got to practice it and make sure it's not well, your models slide off and fall off all the time. But just things like that is something you you can't buy that from a shop. That's the bit where you can go, oh, yeah, well, just you know, a couple of degrees, and suddenly it it, it 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 will sit on that 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 piece of scenery mat that 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 sludge thing that I've got, and nobody else has got one of those. Lots, lots of people have got the Citadel, but no one's got one like on the wonk. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's, that's what I mean, even just thinking now, like you could do, I don't know, a narrative weekend, and the Citadel starts, you know, fully constructed, and then over the course of the weekend, more sections get swapped out for ruined parts until it's just a pile of rubble. I think there'd be some really fun stuff you could do with that. Oh, yeah, so 100%. That'd be, <laughs> yeah, I love that. And things like the mutations, where the parts of the wall open up into mouths. Well, you know, your my clan pestilence, the, the jaws will open and I can walk straight through. Uh, anyone from order tries to go through and it'll be snappy, snappy time. So, I, 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 you know, again, like you say, how do we corrupt the wall? OK, well, maybe there's a... Um, a unique spell or realm ability that we, de- we yeah. decide for that event and okay you can only do it if you're touching it well okay how am i going to get my fragile wizard to touch this wall but if i can and i can open it as it rips apart as his mouth and teeth and tongues all fly out of it how cool is that you know that that's a that's a narrative moment that the scenery has helped you bring to life yeah, no, that sounds really, really cool. <laughs> so obviously, it's, it can be you know if you if you print you know a big system, it can be quite intimidating maybe to paint it. Have you guys got any tips on how to easily get one ready for the battlefield? Yeah, definitely. Um, there is we have a there's a YouTube channel for Dark Fantastic Mills. There's a basic painting tutorial there which covers how I paint all the scenery essentially. So the technique is like using sponges. So you can like all the all the pictures on Kickstarter. Not all the pictures, because some of the pictures done by Steve, who did a much nicer <laughs> rust-based uh, <laughs> system. But again, that's very straightforward, and we put videos up on how to achieve it. So, so you can just make it look. Uh, but the, the standard version that you see on the Kickstarter is painted metal to silver, and that's literally just painted black and sponged with lead belcher, and then washed with rattling grime, which is now my favourite contrast paint of all time, because it saves doing it with black and then brown does it all at once so nice uh, so you can just do that <clears throat> but there's also it's, it's quite the, the thing about scenery painting obviously the scenery is very big so as you say it's a lot it's a big job uh part of the design that i put into the models is making them less detailed but detailed enough if you know what i mean mm. 
so that so that they aren't a painting chore. You know, they don't have obviously F, FDM printing doesn't. It actually is able, it's able to produce surprisingly good detail, but it's it's not that detail. It's not as detailed as a resin model or a, or a miniature. Um, but it's quite it's quite important to me that the scenery is is quite easy to paint. And, mm. and you could sit down over the course of an afternoon or a day and, and do an entire citadel uh, layout without without much trouble. What do you reckon, Steve? How was your experience with it? Yeah, t- totally agree. I mean, I think I think sometimes when you know some manufacturers produce these incredible pieces of scenery, but you know they've got door frames, they've got woodwork, they've got ropes, they've got all of this stuff on there. And it becomes it becomes like a beautiful miniature in itself. And the challenge there is, you know, how much time is that going to take compared to, I guess it's, you know, do you want your scenery to be another miniature or do you want your scenery to be like a movie set? You know, if you look at movie sets, they're not all hyper detailed, but they're there to bring the armies to life. And I yep. think I think I think the other thing as well is that I think the Dark Fantastic Mill stuff, um I've, I've printed all sorts of it now, is you it 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 doesn't necessarily you, you can kind of you don't have to have your machine set to perfect settings to get a, a good piece out of there. I mean some of them, some of the gaps on the bought pieces that you know, some of the SCL files I've bought for other people, some of the gaps are too wide and then you've got to start mm. thinking about adding supports. Okay, supports are okay for some pieces, but you know, it's wasted material, it takes longer, you've got to get it off, you've then got to clean it. For, for whatever reason, my machine has never been able to put a support in place. And, uh, you know, I haven't got any of the Uber kind of uh, software controllers that one of my friends has got. I li- literally use Cura and it. Yeah, it, supports don't work in FDM printers. I've tried for years. It just <laughs> isn't workable. It's like if it, if it needs a support, just don't do it. It's like my my mantra because it's rubbish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I think I think for me, it it's 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 get some. And I think the other thing as well is quite often you can get these beautiful bits of scenery, which is kind of a, a rock with a tower with a wizard's bit on top. And you, you, you and it's fantastic. and It looks great. And it sits on this sort of 10 inch by 10 inch footprint. But it's basically just a big roadblock. It's a big block. Yeah. You can't really put anything on it. And what was definitely a consideration that you know Gary's put into the citadel is yeah i mean the big corner piece is probably about eight inches footprint and it's quite tall so you can hide things behind it but pretty much the top surface apart from a slightly you know a a thin outer wall you can get models in there and you can get big base models in there or you can get a lot of 25 mil archers in there so even though it looks big and tall on the table if you look from above there's very little of that footprint you, you can't put a model on. Yeah, these are all these are all tournament tested. Even, even the Citadel uh, was deployed at recent uh, the, the, the Scottish Masters up here uh, the last two weeks ago, I suppose, and uh, even they didn't complain about it. So <laughs> you're making it, has... it sound like they they like a good complaint. <laughs> well, you know what top table players are like. Honestly. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. Sorry, awesome. So, what's the response uh, been to the Kickstarter so far? Then it's been really good. It has been really good. I think it's a, it's the first one, so we're 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 kind of learning as we, as we go along. Um, uh, and we'll have to have a big sort of debrief at the end of it to work out what we're doing. But but the actual like the social interaction, like talking to people and everybody being yeah, it's, it's been great actually. And I feel like you know even on Instagram, even on Twitter, which is quite quite tough these days uh, the engagement as everybody keeps complaining isn't isn't great but uh, i know a lot of people are um, excited aren't they you know certain other massive miniature producers don't actually currently do a massive castle so it's a bit of a niche really isn't it they do and it did it did help that there just happened to be an awful lot of this sort of theme going on at the moment as well so it wasn't wasn't bad timing i don't think to <laughs> do something like that, which it was completely i mean it was entirely coincidental I'm, um, I'm I'm absolutely picturing my soon-to-be noble slaves of darkness army uh, crawling over this thing. So um, yeah, you've 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 hit the the sort of the chaos heart there. <laughs> yes, no, well, it's it's dear to my heart. I've always played chaos from day one, so it's uh, it, it's it's something something I really wanted. And actually, that's that, that's true of uh, I think all the range is at dark fantastic mills. It, it, it starts with something that. I'm really into doing, or you know, I'll chat to Steve or some, you know, on, on, and think, oh yeah, we get to do something like that, and then gets the brain going, and then you know, sketching, and then the next thing you know, it's you know, it's a real thing. I, I'm a I'm a bit naughty in that I'll find this really good piece of reference, whether it's a, a piece <laughs> piece of brutal architecture in real life, and just say, just sending this over to you, Gary. <laughs> hoping to plant a little seed that well uh, it's really bad i'm very very suggestible <laughs> it's uh yeah it's and it's and also i'm very i mean well you can get busy by with like steve telling me maybe you should think about doing this but but i'm very happy to hear from people as well people do get in touch uh to say oh have you thought about doing this or you know if i see something like this at some point in the future so there's so many ideas and it's such the, the, the hobby is so fantastic as a Mm-hmm. you know just as a as a thing to work with them because because it is so wide and varied uh you can never really run out of things to do no. awesome so so how long have people got left on the kickstarter what's the end date for it and if anyone does miss the kickstarter are there going to be any options on dark fantastic to to pick up the uh, the files afterwards maybe so the kickstarter finishes on the 16th of uh <clears throat> of this month february uh, I think it finishes at nine o'clock GMT in the evening. It's sometime in the evening, nine or ten, something like that, nine or ten o'clock in the evening. So you've kind of got all day on Thursday till the Thursday the 16th um, to jump on. Uh, there'll be late, oh, what do you call it, late pledges or something? I'm sure mm. we'll, set, we'll set that up for people if, they, if they've missed it. Um, as for picking up the files in the future, I'm I'm not sure right now. I, I feel like I don't really want to mix. Dark Fantastic Mills is about physical models. I know there's a couple, yeah. of, couple of things on there. So what you'll see of Dark Fantastic Mills are the physical models going in. There's also a version of it that will actually integrate with our existing more sci-fi Blade Fortress range as well. So oh, nice. The, the walls will click into those. For all the customers who, who own those, that, that scenery range, they'll be able to take a, you know, add their version of the Chaos Citadel to it as well. Um, I think at the moment, probably uh, we're going to we're definitely do another Kickstarter as soon as we can, and it will be available again through that as an add-on. Um, and 
somewhere else, but we, still have, we haven't quite worked out yet in maps. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. Ooh, so that's if, mysterious. If, if what the files get them now is what I should be saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can definitely get them now, but as for when you'll be able to get them again, I genuinely don't know right now. And I guess a lot of the the the, the, the kind of alternate kind of parts with the, the ruined stuff and the mutated stuff a lot of that i take it's going to be exclusive to the files it's going to be like the core kind of citadel that'll be on the shop that's that's absolutely the case yeah yeah there, there, there won't be uh there won't be a lot of that stuff just the basic stuff you need there's uh, probably about at least half of what's in the kickstarter will just be the files uh and uh i'm not saying that if you didn't get in touch with me and twist my arm and say we <laughs> love that thing you just do it as a one-off then that, that's that's probably doable, but it, it won't be it won't be in the actual uh, store. To no. And I, I think one of the things that really you wanted to do this, the reason we wanted to do this, Gary, was that some of some of those pieces, just because of their size and how they're built, yeah. to yes. make them a commercial piece, yeah. they probably wouldn't be that attractive on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, there are some things. Yeah, there's there, there's things that I won't do for the shop because they take simply take too long to print, and I think they, they, and they would be too expensive. And and actually, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't even want to put it in the shop and see how much it will cost because <laughs> that's just not right. Um, and that actually leads me to where the exciting, well, it'll be unlocked. Uh, in fact, it's pretty much unlocked right now as it is. Is the the next stage of the Citadel that we're going into the Kickstarter, which are the fighting pits. Yeah. Nice. The fighting pits is absolutely something that will not be in the shop because the full pit, once you've assembled it, is 60 inches, 60, no, 60 centimeters across. Oh, wow. So it's a big old thing made up, and it would it'd be so expensive, and shipping it would be just a massive pain. So, so I'm really excited we managed to get this high with it so we can get to the fighting pits because actually that would be exciting, good fun. Oh, excellent. That sounds, that sounds really, really cool. <laughs> so, so, we'll, so we'll definitely get the basic parts of that, and that'll be part of this Kickstarter as well. So you'll get the basic arena and as many of the extra goals and elements to it as we can get to by Thursday next week. Awesome. I'm definitely not scrolling through Amazon now looking at 3D printers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we have to do a proper. If I, there's a little bit of an FAQ on on, this, on the Kickstarter, but I think we need to do a proper one. I actually I, I genuinely would, would encourage anybody who's who's thinking about it to you know to just sort of give it a go because really for the cost of a printer and the cost of the files, um, you know you have unlimited chaos castle potential and. Yeah. Uh, even if you only ever printed the castle, that it'd still be worth doing it. So yeah, and and, and I'm I'm I'm, um, you know, I work on my Mac doing my design stuff, so I use programs. But I I'm not a electronics person. I'm not really DIY person. And for me, I built my Ender Three Pro Two, whatever it was at the time. I took my time at it. I built it. Uh, I think Gary kindly answered a couple of stupid questions, but it's up and running. And a few faults that I've had over the years, because again, I've picked something that's um, very popular somewhere, somewhere on the internet, or if I can't find it, Gary kindly answers my stupid question mm-hmm. and, and I can keep it going. So I think. Um, yeah, that's 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 a very good point. I mean, it's definitely don't. Yeah, I would I would recommend to everybody just buy one of the big brand name ones and and the, the, like like Creality because the 
not just the amount of parts that are available, but just the amount of information that's available online. It's huge, and, and there are no problems that can't be fixed. Awesome, cool. So if somebody maybe wants to kind of dip their toe into kind of collecting and painting scenery, are there any pieces from the Dark Fantastic Mills you'd maybe recommend to a, to a newcomer to the hobby? Ooh, that's a good question. What do you think, Steve? Um, oh, the thing is, is so much. There's so much. <laughs> uh, so I, t- I tell you what. I tell you what. Probably isn't isn't probably what you'd imagine to be my first guess. But it's. Oh, and yeah, Gary, you have to tell me what the range is called. But it's all the ribs and the. Um, there's a skull centerpiece. Oh yeah, the savage lands. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, it, and for me, and I play a lot of Age of, Age of Sigma. It just feels like there's been some massive realm beast here mm. that's, that's died and gutted, and all of these bones have turned to rock. It, it, and I think that's I think that's what Dark Fantastic Mills does quite well is that you know you just couldn't make the scale on some of these pieces. I mean, because yeah, some of the death stuff, some of the statues in that are just yeah. you know. Yeah. epic i mean they 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 have the scale of a lot of the concept art that we love in the new books and stuff so i think i think for me i've got a village and i've got a medieval town that you know we know and love from all the way back from you know eighth edition and earlier i think for me it is the the fantastical stuff that that, that makes that then matches the crazy armies that are, you know dwarves in in steamships flying across the sky or it's skaven burying underground with beasts that are all stitched together i I think for me that's where um that's the stuff i like yeah the the scale is actually a big thing that that was another thing that made me want to do this in the first place was realizing that the 3d prints were were so light and yet so strong when they're designed well and you know printed to the printed the correct way that it meant you could actually make the scenery true scale. So the trees are the size of giant fantasy trees, not little tree things that you get from the modeling shop. And the statues and things are, are genuinely huge, uh, such that even the largest of, um, you know, monstrous heroic figures actually look to scale, <laughs> hopefully on the table when they're standing next to a tower or a wall or, 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 or a giant statue. So. So yeah, no, I think it's a good call. I like like Savage Realm. We we sell a lot of the um, of the sort of battlefield in a box set. Mm. Comes with everything you need for your table. Uh, you can spread it out for an Age of Sigmar size game, or you crowd it all in for a Warcry game. Amazing! Wow, it's been super fun talking to you guys. Uh, good luck with the Kickstarter. But before we let you go, there's a super important question we've got to ask you both. What is your favourite sprue? What is your favourite brew? Steve, you're going to go first. Right, okay. So um, uh, with the brew, I'm going to have to be boring and saying that I am off alcohol for a few reasons. Mainly as I get older, my body doesn't kind of deal with it. But if I am out with mates and there is a brew to be had, uh, go ship the uh, the the. 0.5 percent one uh, it's all the flavor uh, and none of the trouble for me the next day so uh, that that would be my brew 
And my sprue is something that um, I had in the cupboard for ages, pulled it out for one part and then went, this is amazing. And then I bought another one. Um, and that's the Kill Team Gallipox Infected Sprue. Ooh, yeah, they're really cool. So much good stuff in there. Like I've, I've made a bunch of uh, rat ogres from it. So anyone that doesn't know, it was the Kill Team set. And basically it's a mix of all things uh, sort of death guard. They're not, no, there's no Marines in there, but there's kind of Nightmare Hulks. There's zombies i suppose um yeah, i think it's supposed to be like nerdling. what happens if the geller field goes down and all the crew get fused with machinery and stuff it's uh pretty gribbly isn't it yeah there's a guy with a, like a furnace in his gut somebody else that's got heads in his arms and mouths in his belly um and and you know you get some nerglings and you get some you know some uh dung flies and all sorts of <laughs> there's so much goodness in on that sprue so uh yeah, I shall need another one soon. <laughs> do, 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 do you know, glorious leader? I was I was expecting a Skaven kit, and <laughs> and you didn't let me down. You didn't pick a Skaven kit, but you very quickly turned it Skaven. So yeah. um, well done. Obviously, <laughs> oh, Skaven. Excellent. Gary? Yeah, Gary, me. Yeah, no. So, um, oh God, Brew. Uh, uh, I. I keep thinking about stopping drinking, but I, I never seem to get around to doing it. I, I'll have to pick, I have to be sort of patriotic and go with, uh, it's going to be Elvis juice from Brewdog. It's, it's <laughs> always good and usually gets you into trouble. So <laughs> <laughs> it's much, much safer drinking it in the small cans. It's quite dangerous when you go to an actual Brewdog bar and get it on draft. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> But we have one in town, and they give you a discount uh, if you're playing in a tournament. They're actually big supporters. Oh, wow, cool. Oh, wow, that's ace. In fact, yeah, in fact, I should should big them up right now for that, because um, uh, they actually hold Warhammer tournaments at their uh, headquarters up north, up up, up near uh, their past in the nest. I can't remember exactly. Somewhere up there. Um, they have an amazing uh, visitor center kind of restaurant bar thing in in their brewing headquarters up there. It's really, really, you can imagine Brewdog, everything's very cool and fancy. Um, and uh, one of their senior staff, uh, Callum, his local local guy, absolutely brilliant, he, he's, he's organized these things. So they've now been doing Warhammer, uh, they've been doing Age of Sigma and 40K. And the best thing is the tables have all got numbers, they've all got barcodes, and you just scan them and they bring your drinks to the table. Oh, amazing. Uh, <laughs> it got a bit messy apparently last year, so I don't know if some <laughs> are probably on orders to be better behaved this year, I'm not sure. But uh, So that's coming up in March. I've got to do the trophies, so I should remember when it is. Um, oh, so yeah, my brew dog and ah, sprues. I don't do that. I mean, I've got really boring. I just say I really just can't stop building blight kings so it's probably that sprue which again nurgle sprues have got so much on them i must have a nice kit i've made so many and everyone's different so but i think the gellerpox one is a good call i made those when they came out and uh you've just reminded me steve that you can buy them again so Ooh. yeah they, they could definitely but yeah nurgle sprues are always the best aren't they because <laughs> if nothing else they've got nurglings on them so 
It's, it's all about the Nerglings, isn't it? All about the Nerglings. <laughs> in fact, I'm so precious about them, I hardly ever put them actually on the models. I just hoard the screws for the Nerglings, <laughs> thinking I probably at this point could deploy a small army just of Nerglings. <laughs> sounds like a good plan. This is it. You, need, you need a Chaos Citadel filled with Nerglings now, don't you? Oh, yeah, I just need more time, don't we all? Uh, just, <laughs> just to do everything. Sometimes it's 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 all a bit too much, really. I think it's one of the... So 3D printers are amazing, but they, 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 the fact that they, they can let you make a business like this and do what I'm doing right now is just, yeah, slightly miraculous, actually. So, but yeah, it's almost too much. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us massive good luck for the kickstarter i'm sure it'll go amazingly i can't wait to see some of this stuff on the tabletop thank you very much matt yeah thanks so we'll be back after this we'll be talking to isaac childress creator of frosthaven hello and welcome to another sprues and brews interview today we're joined by isaac childress from uh, Cephala Fair Games. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Uh, doing good. Thank, thanks for having me. How are things over there today? Uh, doing doing pretty great. Um, I am going to a little cabin con tomorrow. So this is the only day this week that I'm working, which is kind of exciting. Oh, cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, before, and then before I just can... get to play board games all week. That, that is clearly the best job then, surely, playing board games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started, well, in yeah. case anyone doesn't know who you are, do you want to tell us a little about about yourself and a little bit about Cephala uh, Fair Games? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm Isaac Childress, uh, the owner and uh, lead designer of Cephala Fair Games. Um, yeah, and I mean we're most well known for making Gloomhaven, uh, though recently you know, we also came out with Frosthaven, which is even bigger and, and more ridiculous than than Gloomhaven was, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're just working on a lot of cool things. Try to try to make epic epic games that uh, um, sort of emphasize player choice over randomness. I think that's kind of our our motto. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. So, so from like a, a gaming background, what kind of games are you into? What do you like to pick up and play on your days off? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that I mostly play like kind of heavier Euro games, like mm -hmm. resource management and, and stuff like that, you know, which is not necessarily uh, in line with, with Gloomhaven, but uh, a little bit at least. Um, but yeah, like my favorite game is Gaia Project. Oh, cool. Um, you know, which is like the sci-fi version of, of Terra Mystica. Uh, I also really, really enjoy uh, Lost Ruins Varnak. Um, but really, I mean, I'll play anything that's fun. I mean, like, I don't know, Galaxy Trucker, you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if a game is, I, I have a wide, a wide range of, of tastes, I'd say. Amazing. That's really cool. So I think the big moment for you uh, was, it was Gloomhaven and, and the insane popularity it had when it came out. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the creation of Gloomhaven and, and kind of how you found the journey of releasing it? Cause I guess that was a, a big moment for, for you and Cephala Fair, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, completely changed the trajectory of, of everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I had this idea for a game, you know, it was kind of like taking that, that dungeon crawl aesthetic, um, but applying some, some more like 
Euro type mechanics of, of resource, you know, card management and, uh, you know, player decisions, um, and kind of trying to, to meld those two things into, into something that's, that I could enjoy. Cause I mean, I, I really like dungeon crawls, but I don't really like, you know, rolling dice and just being, being beholden to the randomness of that. And so, uh, so that was really the, you know, the impetus behind it was, was just trying to, trying to find a happy medium. But between the two types of games that I like, um, and, and yeah, so I mean, I just kind of sat in my house and, and worked on this game for I don't know, I guess it was two two and a half years. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, eventually put it up on Kickstarter and and you know did really well, but um, I don't know, I I never imagined that it was uh, as w- would be as successful as it was. You know, I, I assumed it would be. Um, you know, well received among you know a certain niche part of of the hobby. Um, you know, people with some sensibilities like similar to mine. I didn't consider my sensibilities to be kind of like mainstream necessarily, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but uh, it just ended up getting like such good reviews from pretty much everyone who played it <laughs> uh, that yeah, once it was finally released, it it just kind of like blew up. In a, in a much much bigger way than I expected, and um, yeah, suddenly like my life, like the business, like everything, just kind of like turned on its head, and you know, we had to launch a second Kickstarter project, and um, you know, everybody was pounding on my door, you know, wanting to do like localizations and or like accessories and all sorts of things. Like everybody wanted to get on the Gloomhaven train after that. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it was all very exciting, but at the same time uh very overwhelming and so it, it took yeah it's uh I, something that up to that point right i was just kind of like working on this company on my own and sort of realizing that okay well yeah this company now has to has to grow and sort of grow into like what gloomhaven has become and uh you know that took a while but uh was but, yeah, a weird was... moment then going from i guess a small kind of indie game studio to suddenly like the biggest game on you know board game geek <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was very surreal. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just, right. I'm just some dude. And uh, <laughs> suddenly, yeah, like <laughs> this game that I created is like number one on board game geek, which is kind of like, I, yeah, I mean the, the biggest honor I, I could think of, I mean, cause that's kind of how I started in the hobby was, was going to board game geek and just looking at whatever the top game was and uh, trying it out. So, so yeah, I mean, it took me kind of a long time to realize like that the company did need to grow and like hire more employees. Like for a long time, I thought I could do everything myself and that, um, you know, ended up stagnating things a little bit, but yeah. I think we're in a good place now. Awesome. So I guess Gloomhaven is quite unusual. You touched on it earlier because rather than dice, everything's controlled through a deck of cards. So your, your players have got a lot more control over their action. There's less randomness. So I take it from kind of games that you'd played. Is that something that you'd, want to see in a game yourself rather than many games have been ruined by a really unlucky dice roll where with gloomhaven the player i guess is always in control of their actions i I guess that was a big kind of driving point for the mechanics yeah uh yeah and i mean you know to be fair like some gloomhaven games can still be uh ruined by by an unlucky flip (laughs) of, of that null card um so you know there's still some randomness in there uh but but yeah, I don't know. For for whatever reason, um, I just kind of 
really, you know, in, in the, the games that I've played just have really kind of shied away from, from that like heavy randomness. Um, yeah, just cause like I want, I want things to feel like I'm in control of, of what's happening. Um, and dice just kind of like take that away from me. So I wanted to minimize that as much as possible. Awesome. Cool. So I think it's safe to say that Gloomhaven was a massive success with multiple printings and it all went a bit crazy. Did you feel a lot of pressure to bring a follow out follow up out for the game? Um I mean there was certainly pressure there, you know, people asking like when you know what's what's next what's new and you know even like right now you know like frost haven is like just at people's doorsteps mm. you know just constantly being barraged by questions of like what's next what's next and it's <laughs> like well i mean you got frost haven that's going to keep you busy for multiple years so don't, don't bother me about it uh <laughs> but um i i don't know if there was like a lot of pressure i mean at the end of the day like i i started working on frost haven like even before Gloomhaven came out, you know, it's kind of okay. like blocking up the story. Um, so, you know, it's something that I wanted to work on more than something that I like felt the pressure to create. And that's kind of, you know, a similar situation I'm in now as I, you know, I still feel like I have the freedom to just create what I want to create and not worry too much about, um, you know, what other people want me to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, looking looking through Frost Haven, it seems like the the natural progression of Gloomhaven and kind of fleshing out some more of the, I guess the the, the legacy element and the the cool kind of, I guess almost pick your own adventure and, and puzzle elements added in there as well, which is really really fun. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so so Frost Haven should be arriving in the hands of backers around about now. So without giving away too many spoilers, are there any kind of cool new things that people can look forward to in the game? Sure, yeah. I mean, the kind of the philosophy behind Frosthaven was just, um, you know, listening to all the feedback on Gloomhaven and just making it better in, in every conceivable way. And I really think that we achieved that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, in terms of like, you know, artwork, graphic design, writing, like all that stuff, like I think we've all kind of stepped it up a notch, um, production quality, you know, just, uh, storage capacity in the box, uh, <laughs> you know, actually <laughs> providing you with plastic bags and plastic inserts and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, more than that, um, yeah, more, more balance to the characters, the scenarios making more interesting scenarios. Um, so, you know, less sort of kill all enemies type, type missions and, um, yeah, just offering a, a variety of, of different things that you can, can, you can interact with within the scenarios. Uh, and then also just, uh, yeah, this whole outpost phase, which is, I guess like the biggest new thing, um, kind of sort of giving you something to do in between scenarios, but that still ties directly into the scenarios, right? So. Um, you're kind of collecting loot from the scenarios that isn't just money, but it's a bunch of resources and stuff mm -hmm. that you can then go back to the town with to, to build up the town or craft items. Um, and then by building up the town, that will give you, um, you know, just additional things that you can interact with um, and and bring back into the scenarios, you know, without getting into spoiler territory there. Like yeah, they yeah. kind of feed off each other um, in a really interesting way, I think. 
Um, and then we've also added, you know, the calendar system, which gives us a lot more control over like how the story is presented uh, to people. You know, in, in Gloomhaven, you just have that deck of events. And if you wanted mm -hmm. to kind of tell a story with that, with those events, uh, it was kind of like random, right? I mean, you, you'd read a, you'd read the event, you'd make a decision, and then you'd add a new card into the deck, but it would just kind of get shuffled in and you might never see it again. Yeah. Or, and so by having a calendar system where you can just say, okay, yeah, in five weeks, you know, that, that next part of that story is going to come uh, to fruition. It really just kind of gives a lot more control and, and makes things flow better and feel more, um, more thematic. Um, and then also allows us to kind of, yeah, play with like the seasons of summer and winter and reinforcing this idea of, of like the small outpost uh, that's kind of like on the edge of destruction. And, you know, you can kind of build up the defenses during summer uh, and then you get into the winter uh, phase and it's it's going to get a lot harder and mm -hmm. events are going to go a lot nastier and just kind of having that that dynamic there too i think that uh, is really interesting awesome so one of the things that surprised me when i when i got the box was how big and heavy it is and just how much stuff you managed to uh cram into there was the like yeah. the, the maximum <laughs> size capacity of the box something you had to bear in mind while designing the game uh, not really. Um, yeah, maybe we should have. Uh, but, but yeah, just like Gloomhaven, it was just, uh, just designed first, really. It's like, this is all the stuff that I want in the box. Uh, and so this is all the stuff we're going to put in the box and we'll figure out how to make that work, uh, <laughs> later on down the road. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, so what's your favorite thing then about the new game? Um, yeah, that's a tough question because there's it's, <laughs> there's lots of cool stuff in there, isn't there? There's lots of cool stuff. Um, I'm really happy and proud of, of how the puzzle book came out. Hmm. Um, I think that was kind of one of the, the bigger failings of the original game um, was was kind of the the big puzzle in that, which you know is kind of a spoiler, but um, you know and how that was implemented. And I think. Um, Going going back and, and working on Frosthaven and kind of doing that in a much better way, and I'm, I'm really happy with how the puzzles turned out and like how the artwork for all the puzzles turned out and how it ties in to the rest of the game. Uh, yeah, I, th I think I think it's I think it's pretty great. Um, you know, I know there's some people out there who don't like puzzles and are still annoyed that there are puzzles in the game, but. <laughs> Uh, I really love them. So <laughs> sounds cool. Sounds cool to me. Um, so I guess adjacent to that, like legacy games have been super popular. How does it feel to kind of like create a game where one group of players might have a completely different experience than another group of players based on like the decisions they make during the game? Like I yeah. guess planning for that and designing it, I guess that's a pretty big job. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh you know so we did a significant amount of like campaign playtesting to kind of make sure that you know whatever various paths you, you go down you're still going to have a, a good experience with the game um but yeah i mean that's kind of one of the main points of of the game itself is is that it's yeah it's your own world that you can explore and kind of interact with however you want to and that's really an important part um of the design process, both in Gloomhaven and, and Frosthaven, is yeah, making people feel like this world is is, is their own world and their their decisions matter. And so, 
yeah, a lot of work went into that, but I think it's I think it's necessary. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, you you mentioned that the calendar system. It kind of sometimes it almost feels like there's there's a games master running the game for you because it's like yeah, on on this day you get to the the uh, the week in the calendar it's like okay we'll read this section and everyone's like oh, okay yeah i remember that from a couple of sessions ago when when xyz happened so no really really cool um so if if box size and weight and cost was no factor is there anything you'd like to include in your dream game but just wouldn't be feasible to do as a you know as a release oh i don't know i mean i i think Frost Haven is sort of a, a testament to, to what I want to do, <laughs> you know, if, if nothing is a factor. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people will say, like, you know, it would be better if there were, like, miniatures for all the monsters. And obviously that that is, that would, you know, double, double the size of the box easily. And so that wasn't, um, you know, a, a luxury that, that we afforded there. But, but, you know, maybe, I mean, I personally don't, mind the standees at all like mm-hmm. for me personally like i think the, the game is, is perfect as is and the standees um work work perfectly well but um i could see how some people would uh would uh yeah would want miniatures for everything i, I don't know i can't think of anything else um yeah i don't know i'm i'm pretty happy with <laughs> with everything yeah. and how, I mean, how you've crammed a lot out. in that box haven't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we're speaking of miniatures i believe that there's a there's a project on the horizon for some uh gloomhaven universe miniatures can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that uh yeah i mean we're launching a backer kit crowdfunding project in april um and it's gonna have a, a lot of parts to it but yeah one of the main parts is the the miniatures um, so we are doing miniatures for essentially everything um, that you could want a miniature for, or at least, well, uh, you know, monsters and also uh, characters and summons. Um, so I guess if you're still looking for miniatures for like all the 3D terrain or terrain, then, then we're not going to be doing that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, all the monsters and all the summons for like all classes across all titles, and then. Yeah, we're also revisiting the sculpts from the original Gloomhaven. Oh, cool! Um, so you can you can get new versions of those characters as well. Yeah, I would say the sculpts um, in the uh, the Frosthaven box are really nice. So kind of similar kind of quality to those then. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're using some of the same sculptors there. Uh, we've also hired some some new sculptors uh, who are also uh, very very good at, at what they do. So um, yeah. We're, Really, it's really exciting to see all the all the sculpts coming to fruition. Um, all these monsters realized in, mm-hmm. in three dimensions. It's cool. <laughs> that is very cool. So, what kind of release model are you looking for them? Can people buy like single models, or will it be more of a here's a I don't know a set of one of each monster you can use as your elites? Or could some people go crazy and go right? I want ten of each monster so I can run everything fully with miniatures. Is there kind of or, or somewhere between that maybe? Um, yeah, so I, we're still kind of hammering all that out. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're trying to like reduce the number of products as much as possible. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're not going to be able to like buy, you know, like a, a single ooze miniature. Um, um, so yeah, we're kind of, we're going to probably break it up by, um, by game. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, you can get like all the Gloomhaven miniatures, um, 
you know, so basically a set of, of miniatures for every monster in Gloomhaven. So, you know, six of, of this monster, 10 of that monster, yeah. you know, and including all the bosses. Um, and then you, there'll be add-ons to like add on all like the, the Frosthaven monsters or the Jaws of Lion monsters and all of that. Um, and then there'll be separate packs for like summons, like Gloomhaven summons and yeah. uh, Frosthaven summons. That's really yeah. cool. So, kind of alongside supporting the 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 board game, um, I read that this is supporting a new role playing game coming out as well, set in the Gloomhaven universe. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we thought you know the more you know the, the more you can use these miniatures, the better. Um, so, um, yeah, not only can you use them in, in the board game, but yeah, if you want them for an RPG, um. You know, figured it was high time to 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 work on on a Gloomhaven RPG ourselves. Um, you know, because the the world is, I think, kind of rife for that um, sort of uh, less directed, um, player driven like exploration. You know, like uh, give give the lore and, and everything about the world. You know, just into the hands of, of GMs across the world and have them create their own stories. And, and make their own adventures. Um, I, I'm pretty excited to to see that that come to fruition as well. Yeah, that's really cool. You've got a lot of unique creatures and archetypes and stuff. So I guess people will be able to play as whatever combination of stuff they'd like to. Then. Uh, yeah. So you know, within the kind of uh, system as it is, right? Yeah. So you, we have, I think, uh, eight ancestries uh, in. in you know, the, the core RPG um, that people can play as, you know, so you have humans, Valrath, Quattrals, Savas, Inox, Firmling, uh, and Harrowers, and I might have missed one there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> not Acers, though. Acers are um, a little too powerful in a role-playing <laughs> sense, since they can kind of, like, teleport around and do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And so, yeah, you can be whatever ancestry you want and then also whatever class you want and then kind of like mash them together. So you could be a Vermling Cragheart if you want or or an Orchid. Oh, Orchid is one that I missed. Or an Orchid. Uh, an Orchid. Um, I don't know. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And, and that'll allow you some customization in your character creation to kind of, kind of pull from like two different pools of ability cards uh, and yeah, customize your character in that way. Cool. So you mentioned ability cards. Are we going to see a, a, I guess, people used to Gloomhaven similar kind of combat system with a top of one card, bottom of another kind of mechanic? Yeah, uh, it's important to me to yeah, kind of keep that that dynamic uh, the same uh, in the RPG. I think yeah, that's obviously one of the main strengths of, of Gloomhaven is the combat system. Uh, so we didn't really see any reason to. Uh, to change it too too drastically, um, yeah. So we want to keep that core gameplay loop of of playing through rounds, playing two cards at a time, and uh, awesome. yeah, doing the top action one, the bottom action the other. Cool. So with that, will players of like Gloomhaven and Frosthaven be able to use components from the board games in their role playing sessions then? Uh, yeah, to some extent. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the idea, right? Is that yeah, if you have the Gloomhaven box, you kind of just have like a big, you know, box of tools that mm. that you can use uh, in your in your role playing game to set up, you know, whatever maps 
uh, you want and kind of use those monsters in, in the box. Um, and in terms of like the specific cards, like the character class cards, um, were it's it's still in development, but yeah, you'll probably need to like buy a new set of those because they'll be different enough. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, otherwise, the yeah, there's there's plenty of of nice uh, map tiles and and all sorts of stuff in in, in the Gloomhaven box that you can use. Oh, that's cool. And is this going to be in the same Kickstarter as the miniatures then? Uh, kind of April, they kind of go like yeah. that. Yeah, it'll be that same crowdfunding project. Uh, we'll also be launching a uh, you know, second printing of, of Frosthaven in that same project. So um, if you if you didn't get in on, on the original project, you can you can get a copy through through that Amazing. crowdfunding project as well. Cool. So are there any, any challenges or things you need to look at differently when creating a, a role-playing game compared to a board game? I guess a lot more moving parts in the board game, but then I guess you've got a lot of uh, player agency in the role-playing game. Right. Yeah, I've uh, I've uh, discovered over this last year or so that, uh, <laughs> that yeah, <laughs> it is two very different beasts, uh, and designing a role playing game is is a lot more challenging than I than I thought it would be. Um, you know, and it's so um, so yeah, we're bringing in a lot of help uh, as well to kind of you know people very experienced in mm. in, uh, in designing role-playing games to come in and help and make sure everything is um, is, is yeah uh, is is going to produce an experience uh, for the players that um, that that will be good and kind of uh, uh, encourage their own creativity and um, how they play their characters and how they uh, create their adventures but yeah it, it is very different because you know, a board game is, is like very structured, right? It's like, these are the rules, you know, this is the system that you're playing in. And, you know, once you know those rules, then you can just sit down and take your actions and, and that's it, right? The role-playing game is, is very open, um, but it still needs to be structured. Like you need to present the rules in a way that people can, um, you know, kind of be inspired to like use their own creativity in, in how they play. Um, and so you kind of need to give them that, that freedom to, to use that creativity however they want, but also kind of, I don't know, kind of build a safety net under that to make sure that like, even if they're they're not comfortable doing that, there's still like rules and guidances for for like how to progress uh, through through the systems. Um, so it's it's like, you, you would think it'd be easier because like, you know, you're giving people more freedom to do what they want, but at the same time, like it's it's harder because <laughs> yeah, like yeah. those guidances like still have to be in place. I don't know. It's it's a, it's really interesting like field to explore. <laughs> it's been fun working on it though, I guess. Yeah, it's it's been challenging. It's been fun in parts. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, um, I guess a lot of a lot of people have always kind of asked, do you think you'd ever do a kind of sci-fi themed game? Kind of with with similar glue maybe mechanics. So that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, it's certainly interesting uh, as a concept, um, and, and yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think you could do some cool things um, with that same system in a sci-fi setting. Um, yeah, so we'll just have to see uh, in the future. Um, 
yeah, if I get inspired uh, to do something like that. <laughs> awesome, cool. So, where um, obviously you kind of created a board, you know, these games from scratch by yourself. Have you got any advice for anyone out there that's maybe interested in getting into game designing themselves? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a very fun job. Um, you know, but or no, what, I said but, but I didn't really have a but. It's a very fun job, uh, period. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but there is, I guess there is like a big difference between like designing games and like, you know, running a publishing business, which, which I didn't fully understand from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I would encourage people. I don't know. I feel like I got like incredibly lucky that my game was like so successful that mm. uh, like my failings as as like a a business owner kind of um or or i was able to overcome them <laughs> because of how popular the game was um but i feel like in, in most cases yeah if you're if you're designing games yeah you probably should just be like not necessarily self-publishing them but like yeah pitching them to, to established publishers who, yeah. who know what they're doing and and just stick to designing games because because <laughs> running a business and designing games is a very different thing <laughs> yeah <I bet. laughs> amazing well, but i mean you can always try it and, and see how it goes i mean that's that's what i did and it ended up working out for me but again like i feel like i got really lucky yeah i mean yeah it's it's been such a cool kind of i guess story arc the kind of the rise of gloomhaven and and you kind of you know, come into the spotlight with the game. So, yeah, really, really cool. So, finally, before we let you go, there's a question that we ask every single person that we interview. What is your favorite sprue? And this can include stuff out of there, Frosthaven and Gloomhaven, favorite miniature, maybe. And what is your favorite brew? Um, sure, yeah. I mean, there's there's one miniature in, in Frosthaven that's a locks class. Uh, it's the the fist is its kind of code name, and I think that that uh, that miniature that sculpt like came out really well, and it just mm. it looks super cool. Um, and you know you just you just look at it and you're like, oh yeah, I want to play that. That looks really <laughs> fun. So that's probably yeah my favorite miniature. Uh, in terms of brew, so you're talking you said like a hot drink. Yeah, hot is... hot drink. The hot drink you'd enjoy while playing a game. Yeah. Um, I mean, like hot, hot chocolate is nice. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a big tea drinker. I mean, I'll, I'll drink tea on occasion. I know that's like maybe sacrilege uh, <laughs> over there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I could go, I would go for like a hot chocolate or over, a, over a tea or maybe even like, a, um, you know, like a, an apple cider, not a, uh, what are those, what is that called? Anyway, sorry, getting <laughs> I don't have a good answer for this, but we'll just go with hot chocolate. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. I will go with that. <laughs> well, well, thank you very much for for joining us. Um, make sure you check out the the, the kind of the, the launch of the crowdfunding in April when that goes live. We're really excited to follow that too. Um, over on the channel on on YouTube and on spruceandbrews.com, very soon we'll have our review of Frosthaven dropping, along with some playthrough videos too. So if you are interested in learning more about Frosthaven, make sure you check out that. So massive thanks to all our guests for talking about Dark Fantastic Mills and Cephala Fair Games. But we've got an exciting thing to look at next. We're going to be chatting about the LVO preview.
so recently the Las Vegas Open was on and normally there's a big uh, Games Workshop reveal because it's it's I think it's safe to say LVO is one of the biggest events uh, in the world and oh boy did they have some cool reveals so some of them are already up for pre-orders we're going to talk about them first uh, the new Kill Team expansion Soul Shackle so this pits the Drakari against the Adeptus RBTs who saw that come in, eh, guys? <laughs> yeah. Worst kept secret. Uh, I mean, uh, first of all, I am not disappointed by these RBTs. They look exactly like I envisioned. They've yeah. even kept the... Obviously, the, the, these were created at a time when um, 2000 AD comics were popular. And let's not beat around the bush. They're, they're heavily based on Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they've kept that look, haven't they, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, they could have easily kind of shied away from that and created something different, but it's very iconic. So if you don't know who the RBTs are, they're essentially like a, a, a police is underselling them. If you break the laws of the emperor, it's these guys that are kind of banging down your door. And yeah, they they look phenomenal. Now, it looks like the kit builds um, two different options for 40k, a ranged unit and a close combat unit with boarding shields. Um, obviously, for Kill Team, there'll be, um, you mentioned earlier about the uh, Carsican, Dave. Mm. For, for Kill Team, really, there's a lot of optional parts that may not have rules in 40k, but give you different uh, units, such as there's a guy who handles the dog. <laughs> and yes, they've got a dog. And yes, it's a dog in power armor. <laughs> <laughs> a so, dog with a better armor save than a guardsman. Exactly, yeah. And it's a robotic dog too, not just, not just a common old garden dog. Yeah, I I love everything about these guys, from the little kind of Aquila radio vox hauler thing that's floating above them, to the guy with like a sniper shotgun. A sniper shotgun? <laughs> it's not like the Eldar Ranger snipers on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Now, they're up against the Drakari, and I think I've got a feeling that most people picking up this box... We'll be getting very, very excited about the uh, the RBTs and then maybe picking up the Drakari at a later date. Um, they're cool, but I think they're fairly minor kind of changes to the, the standard kind of squad, aren't they? There's nothing too special. I would have loved to have seen them done something with the Mandrakes, which are the sort of shadow demons. Yeah. They're fine cast models at the moment, and they're really interesting from a from a background point of view. The Mandrakes are really, really sort of fascinating in Dark Elder Society. Um, and obviously, we've got all the plastic Cabalites, we've got the plastic uh, Homunculi, and we've got the plastic Witch Cults, but we don't have any of the Mandrake sort of element in plastic. And I thought that would, you know, creeping around the corridors of a of a um, a Space Hulk. Oh, I think Mandrakes would have been perfect for that. It seems and to me like a bit of a waste of an opportunity. They, they could have designed some like new Mandrakes. Again, just for Kill Team, create some new things like, I don't know, some kind of shadow beast that can open locks or something as a, yeah. as a specialist. <coughs> See, I'm going to be controversial here. I actually prefer the Drukari to be... Arbite, Arbites? Arbites, yeah. Drakari, um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to do a Drakari army in 40k, but looking at my backlog, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So looking at Kill Team, Kill Team's perfect for it because you only have to paint 10 operatives for it. 
Um, and yeah, looking at the Ducari, you know, they fit perfectly into the current sort of setting in kill team. Um, and yeah, they just look amazing. I mean, maybe a different color scheme. I'm not a big fan of the color scheme they've gone for, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, the story of the show, like a lot of these, though, is the scenery. Now, the last set, it was cool. It had the gun turret and stuff, but I think from, like, volume of scenery, it might have been a little bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really cool, though, because it's got some walls that can be breached. Now, so we're not seeing how this works in-game, but presumably people can, like, blow open walls to get shortcuts to different rooms, which is really, really cool. Um, there's also, like, control panels... There's a hololith table, which has a representation of the innards of the spacewalk on it. So you could play a mini game of Kill Team within your game of Kill Team. That's ace. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they also mentioned on Warcom today as well, is that you can um, barricade the door. So there's like a a, um, a a rail thing that goes up against the 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 the, the kind of doors that stops them from opening so presumably there's some scenarios where doors are barricaded so you've got to go in with the explosives and take out some holes in walls mm-hmm. that feels really cool we said at the start of this kind of expansion as well it'd be cool to feel like you're fighting around different parts of the ship Absolutely. i think this box feels more like okay we've got to like the bridge or the control center now and and stuff's beginning to get real mm. yeah i agree i think um this is the best lot of scenery so far, I think, uh, from Kill Team. And, yeah, it definitely feels like they've entered a new section of the ship. Yeah, so, so that's really cool. Now, if you prefer your skirmish fantasy-based, um, Blood Hunt was also revealed at LVO, and, again, it is up for pre-order on Saturday. This is a really, really cool set with two awesome warbands. We've got the Askurgan Trueblades, who are vampire monks, which is possibly the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's um I, I, yeah that it's it's a really nice um look for the for the vampires um sets them apart from the rest of the soul blight range I kind of hope they do more like this I'd love to see a little sub faction all in this look because I kind of like the you've got elements of samurai elements of kind of like orange robes of monks put the vampires too I I just think that sounds really cool now they're up against the claws of Karanak which is a corn cult that worship Karanak the Hound of Vengeance. Ooh. To the extremes where we've got a guy who's dressed as a flesh hound. Who <laughs> absolutely at first glance looked like a flesh hound. Oh yeah, yeah. If you squint, he looks like a flesh hound until you realise, oh no, it's just a guy crawling on all fours with a flesh hound mask on because that's perfectly normal. He just thinks it's Halloween all the time. Exactly, yeah. But if you look through the warband, you've got kind of like Bane-style masks on some. You've got quite a few different flesh-out masks. At first glance, I was a little bit disappointed because I thought they're a bit bit vanilla as far as corn goes. But I suppose it's very difficult to do something completely out there compared to corn, where corn is all about red armour and axes, isn't it? Mm. I suppose some of the other other Chaos warbands have been a bit more inventive, like the J. Boblisk are not um overtly Zinchian, aren't they? But these yeah. guys are these guys are definitely corn. Yeah, yeah, I mean I quite like in Necromunda with the, the Butcher's Guild. I, I mm. thought that was a nice way of a subtle corn sort of But you're right, corn is probably the most in your face of the Chaos Gods, isn't he? Yeah. Not the most yeah, subtle. I, I think I agree with you though, Jay. I think I'd, I'd rather have seen like I don't know 
a, a local tribe that's maybe butchering the beasts that live in the um the the the, the forest the um the gnarwood yeah uh, and then maybe you've kind of caught the blood rage of corn from hunting these animals or something but yeah they look cool both boys look cool um it looks like there's a lot of kind of like barricades in the scenery as well it certainly seems lighter on the train than the other ones but it looks like a lot of that's because you've got these big like l-shaped walls to block line yeah. site yeah so yeah it looks pretty cool so that is the stuff that's up for pre-order out of the way now we've got stuff that is hopefully on the horizon and has got lots of people very much excited now we know that there's probably going to be a new edition of 40k this year which probably means there's probably going to be a new space marine codex this year and we see the biggest hint of that with Strike Force Agastus, which is a new boxed set which contains uh, all brand new um, stuff in here, which is awesome. So there's a new Dreadnought, a Brutalist Dreadnought, um, which, Jay, I think it's safe to say that that kind of gave it's you a, a fu- warm glow inside, didn't it? it did. it's, not a, it's not a Brutalist Dreadnought, it's a Furioso Dreadnought. <laughs> a big Furioso Dreadnought. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks it looks amazing. Twin close combat weapons. Um, melters tucked in the little. I, I, I think the original one had melters, didn't it? Uh, the original Furioso did it have melters. It, uh, the, the librarian Dreadnought, because it was a few, it was well, the original Dreadnought was metal. The original Furioso yeah. was metal, and it was only the Blood Angels that I had access to, I believe. Then they did the Blood Angels Plastic Librarian, which uh, Plastic Dreadnought, where you can make the Librarian Dreadnought. I think that may have come with a multi-melter and a frag cannon. Can't remember okay. now. It's, it's definitely got vibes of that, though. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I imagine one of these painted red would look beautiful. Uh, but that's not all that's in the box. We also get a brand new um, Space Marine unit, the Desolation Squad. So this is a new heavy weapon squad for the Space Marines with quite possibly the biggest rocket launchers in the world and <laughs> somehow they're like belt fed missiles i'm <laughs> not sure how that works but I, don't, I wouldn't want to get them shot at me no they look like they'll do some serious damage um and i think these have come under some no, I, I say under some fire they, they've they've been um the victim of a few memes i think since lvo yeah um one of my favourite ones was uh, the unit should be called Overcompensators. <laughs> <laughs> That's the um, same for a lot of the primary stuff, though. I mean, they always sort of... You look at the Repulsor, was it? The Repulsor Execution, which was like guns yeah. facing forwards, guns facing backwards. Yeah. You know what? I, a, 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 a rotary belt-fed missile launcher sounds amazing. I mean, if you just think from a rules point of view, that's going to be like, I don't know, a, a multi-shot rocket launcher, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I I quite actually like this unit. Um, I, I'm I'm actually a bit of a fan, especially like you say, the ones that look like the they fire loads of little missiles, like a a rotary missile launcher. It, it looks ace. Um, speaking of memes, I think my favourite one is that. Can you see the um the Marines? They've got almost like I don't know how to describe it. Like only two missiles in like a double launcher. A few yeah. people think that looks like Five Alive, you know. Johnny short. Five, Johnny Five, Johnny it absolutely five, yeah. looks like Johnny Five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that again is not everything in the kit. There's also a new multi-part Primaris Lieutenant, which Ooh. has loads of options. They had a captain recently, didn't they? And a and a um, ancient banner bearer. 
Uh, but this guy's got loads of options on him. I, I really like that we're kind of moving back to modular character sets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got the uh, the, the, the Cadian Castellan um, coming out soon. Um, and he, he's also got a, a raft of options. Power fists, power swords, chainsaws, plasma pistols, last pistols. Is um, Yeah, I'm so glad they're going, they're going full circle and back to customizable kits. I mean, yeah. that's how you sell a lot of character kits isn't it you know you bring out a power fist and a plasma pistol and you know next chapter proved all of a sudden it goes up in points so and the power sword and bolt pistol might be better uh, variety is the spice of life and these kits are absolutely fantastic i mean looking at the box set I, i'm kind of with jay i think the the dreadnought's my favorite but the lieutenant is definitely a it's a nice model yeah he's, he's a bit of a unsung hero this box um there's also one old kit in the box as well you get uh five heavy intercessors yeah. so do you know how much this box this box is I, if i had to guess i don't know vanguard box combat patrol box kind of price maybe um but it, it looks awesome i take it i mean we've all got space marine armies haven't we um i think a lot of people will be picking this box up for the new toys and it'll also be interesting to see how they distribute the rules for all these new units as well. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, like I say, a, a new Marine book probably isn't too far off. Now, speaking of Marines, uh, the most exciting thing that I saw over the LVO box is a box set with possibly the biggest name of a box set ever. Warhammer 40,000, Wrath of the Soul Forge King. <laughs> yeah. So, this, um, this I am down with yeah space marines i can take or leave they look cool i'd paint them up as iron ravens but when we're talking demigods of chaos who want to become full-fledged gods in a box set with a load of cool gribbly chaos stuff and a load of dark angels uh yeah you have piqued my interest so we'll talk about the the best side of the box first dark we angels the, yeah we get the archifane himself vashtor um, he's a glorious model. He looks probably about demon prince size, which makes sense. He's a he's a he's a demigod. He looks so weird, doesn't he? I hope this is a precursor of a full chaos faction that he goes with, because this is the guy who like builds the demon engines. He forces demons into things, um, and that's kind of reflected in in the contents here. We don't get any space marines as such. We get ten cultists two obliterators and a venom crawler and i'd like to think if they did put together a i'm going to use quote marks dark mechanicum because i don't think it'll be called that um i think those would be the kind of stuff that we'd see alongside mm. maybe some constructs that he's built mm-hmm. like you could have yeah. stuff like the the negavolt cultists and stuff would fit there quite nicely with him and some weird robotic demon things so i think when i pick this up i'm probably going to paint them the, the the demon engines in a similar scheme to him he's got a scheme very much like the um 30k dark mechanic and scheme that forge world used with like a a dirty bone color mm. which i think works really well for like evil stuff doesn't it you can just rip yeah. it around it looks really really cool so that's really cool but i've got to admit and you know i'm, I'm a traitor but i've got to admit the other side of this box is pretty incredible too we've got asriel who's got a brand new sculpt. We've got five Deathwing Terminators, uh, 10 Spaceman Intercessors, and a load of Dark Angels upgrade frames to add to taste. Um, 
Dave, I, I know you're you're a bit of a fan of the Dark Angels, aren't you? I, I always have been, Matt, yes. Uh, and I think, you know, let's let's not be around the bush. We've all heard the rumours. Um, I think now is the time that I commit myself to a, a Dark Angels force. Um, so I'll definitely probably go in halves with you on, on this one, Matt, and um, yeah. get in my grubby paws on those Dark Angels. And that Azrael model is is so nice. Uh, and I love the fact it's it's quite similar to the old one as well. Um, yeah, looking forward to paying him. And he's still got the little watcher as well. Yeah, yeah. Hold his helm or his scabbard. Yeah. Now, if I was a gambling man, I'd say May, June, 10th edition is probably out because that tends to be, well, May, they tend to reveal it in June, end of June, it tends to get released. Now, if you picked up this box and you picked up that new Space Marine box and painted it all green, you probably have the start of a decent Dark Angels army to uh, perhaps expand if perhaps more Space Marine stuff comes out in the summer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, um, Jay and Andy, uh, uh, Andy, I know you're um, you're you're with me on the chaos side of things, but um, a, what do you think of Ashtar, and what do you think of the Dark Angel side, guys? Um, Vashtar's amazing, love him, love the rest of the Chaos Space Marine stuff, and um, I thought all the Dark Angels were traitors as well, so this box <laughs> takes all the boxes for me. Um, but no, <laughs> seriously, um. Uh, yeah, I think if you're going to start Dark Angels or you want some Chaos Space Marines, uh, yeah, this box is, ticks over boxes. I mean, the Deathwing Terminators look amazing, um, even for quite an older kit now. But yeah, the Heretics, they really steal it for me, especially Vashtor and the Obliterators. They look amazing. What, what looks nice as well, you seem to get more Dark Angel upgrade frames than you actually need. I wonder if the intent is you've got some spare to maybe use with another, um, you know, stock collecting box or something. Yeah, that's a neat idea. So, yeah, really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I need this in my life, like, right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, moving into the, the Norwood, back to Warhammer Underworlds, we've seen uh, a preview of the newest warband, uh, Grizel's Arena. Um, <laughs> This is a Daughters of Cain warband who, I hate to say it, I think they're the most, like, vanilla warband they could have done for Daughters of Cain. I just think we've seen them before, haven't we? There's been that many witch elfy inspired warbands and, you, I don't know, yeah, I wasn't that impressed. They, they they seem like variations on, like, what we've already got, don't they? Yeah, like you say, and this is, you've got the um, the Medusa-looking uh elves they could have done something with them you know the really interesting stuff canary could have been in there different sculpts or or something different for the daughters of cain yeah i i like the fact they've they, i like all the sort of dynamic poses that they've got and those masks are pretty scary looking um <clears throat> but yeah i agree that they, they could have done something else there's there's nothing really stand out about um these models but it, it's still a nice little warband yeah, um, I I guess we've kind of been spoilt with Underworlds having a lot of the kind of wacky out there stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see in the main game. You know, we had Ogre Pirate. Mm. You know, it's, yeah, we had a, a tribe of a tribe of chaos shaman that that worship um, spirit um, animals and stuff. It just seems this is a bit I don't know phoned in maybe. And you know what? I think that's my only disappointment from the preview. Of these guys. Mm. 
But, you know, it's another unit to add to my uh, Daughters of Cain, and they might be really good on the table as well, so uh, we will see. Now, gentlemen, are you fans of the Horus Heresy? And do you also like massive tanks with neutron lasers mounted to the front of them? Well, you're in for luck, because the Cerebus Heavy Tank Destroyer is coming out in plastic for the Horus Heresy, and, oh lordy, it looks pretty damn good. Yeah, this looks ace. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 going to sting, I suspect, when it shoots you. Is it a, a Lord of War? It is a Lord of War, I believe, yeah. Yeah, yeah I believe it is a Lord of War. Um, triple neutron laser for zap gun. Yeah, it looks ace. And obviously, it uses the, the Spartan chassis. And I think we've got a couple more Spartan variants to come i think there's a couple of different kind of siege tanks they've got built on the chassis but it does feel to me maybe we're getting to the end of all the the rhino chassis and spartan chassis tanks and maybe you know in the near future we might start to see some of those flyers and stuff yeah yep i mean i don't mind these big tanks they are very cool yeah, and you know what? I'm I'm doing a, a World Eaters tank company, maybe in place of Angron. I might stick in <coughs> these big uh, Lord of War Yes, of course, because it takes up your Lord of War allow- allowance, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so that look quite nice with a load of Predators and stuff. So, so yeah, I don't know when that's out, but but hopefully soon. And finally, we've got a section that I know uh, had Jay, I think as soon as he saw it, ordering things from element games <laughs> um, the basket was getting loaded up <laughs> yeah so we, we we knew that a new order battle tome was coming in the summer and i don't think it was any surprise who it was going to be yep the seraphon are on their way back and they just look magnificent um jay do you want to do you, you want to do the honors on this section Oh yeah, right. Well, I mean, this is it. We've we've seen some rumor engines, haven't we? Um, mm. Sort of over the last few months. And I remember one of them we saw, and we thought, oh, it's the um, it's the um, uh, Spire. Is it Spire Spire? I can't remember. But the the Necromunda gang. Oh, the, was, the Spires, yeah. Yeah, with the with the wings, but it wasn't that. So the first thing, well, we'll come on to what it was, but the first thing we saw was a brand new Slan Starmaster. Um, which, so cool. yeah, I mean, we we had the Lord Croak. Um, was that last year, Lord Croak? I think part Lord of the um, came out as part of the Broken Realms. Realms yeah, yeah. Um, which is the first sort of plastic slan, but you could only build Lord Croak from it. The new slan Star Master is your, is your regular sort of um, non-named character version of the slan, um, with a really really sort of elaborate palaquin stone palaquin with all vines and things. A really sort of characterful slan um, mage priest on top. And what's really, really cool is you can build it in two different ways. So you can have have one sort of lifting a scepter above his head or you can have him holding some crystal skull. Um, and I really like the skink attendants as well, which you can position around the, the palaquin. So, so yeah. if you can have one sort of like bringing some plaques towards the slan mage priest, offering some plaques or another one with a spear sort of standing to the side over over the, the sort of horns and things that stick out of the throne. Um, there's some really really a lot of people were worried weren't they because the 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 um lord croak is quite a big centerpiece model isn't it where this looks to be still on like a a 50 or 60 mil base maybe the new slam yeah i think so it's not as big as croak which which i think is a good thing because Mm. i i don't think it needs to be as big as croak it still looks impressive um lots of really really cool details lots of like frogs and bugs and 
some interesting winged serpents flying around as well, which is uh, really, really cool. So really, really impressed with this kit. I mean, it's a really, really sort of classic, uh, sorry, a a, a really cool upgrade to that classic metal slan um, from from the Warhammer Fantasy. Um, It wasn't just the slan we saw, though. Um, We also saw some new, and I think you called this one, Matt, some new skink... Mm. um, Oh, what, what, Raptodon Riders are they called? I think. Let me grab the um, grab the yeah the Ra- Raptodon Chargers they called. Raptodon Chargers, right? Yeah. I believe it makes two different kits as well. Raptodon Hunters as well, which is a different unit who throw javelins. Ah, so that'll be in a similar way to they did the um, uh, the Sylvan F um, um, the bugs. You know, the, the, yeah, you could yeah. Buy, build two different uh, things. Like. Yeah. So so these are um, these are like um, a, a new cavalry unit for the Seraphon. Um, basically velociraptors, feathered velociraptors with skinks on top. They look beautiful. Um, I, I love them. I love how like characterful their faces are. They're very cute yeah. raptors, aren't they? They that's it. They don't they don't look absolutely terrifying, do they? They they do look quite cute and quite nice. I don't. I mean, think, they still you know, have like a six inch long retractable claw on their feet that I'd probably rip the <laughs> yeah. guts open. <laughs> but you'll be like, ah, oh, as a <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, so this is a really really nice unit, and this was of course was the um, was the rumor engine that we saw with the sort of feathers. Um, can you build a character out of this unit, or because there is like a command squad, isn't there? Like yeah, a banner, so a musician. It doesn't mention that you can. Uh, back in the day, the 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 skinks riding raptors were part of the um, armies of renown. Where what are they called? The dogs of war. Regiments of renown, yeah. Regiments of, of renown, right. yeah. So it was like a named unit. It looks like reading from this article, you've either got the the ranged unit, who uh, it says that they expose weak spots with their javelins. So maybe a nice, quick, low number of shots, but high AP ranged unit, maybe. It'd be a nice little kind of niche for them, um, where the other unit is an aggressive combat unit. Yeah, very cool. And, and one thing I do like about these models as well, and um, this is interesting. So, so the Seraphon range, the Lizardman range, it, it, it's not that old, but it's not that young either. And especially Yosaurus Warriors and that kind of thing. But the shields were were always very, you know, they were wearing like basically um, scaled shields and things like this. Mm. Whereas these these new models, um, they've got they look like they're better equipped. Their equipment seems to be a bit more modern. So the shields yeah, actually look like kind of like Breath of the Wild is ancient but high tech. Yeah, which is a cool sort of theme for them. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad to see them sort of develop in that way, you know, rather than they don't look so savage like anymore. They look a bit more like not too technologically advanced, but a little bit more. Technologically yeah, but uh, even the even the, 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 the ones with the lances, it does look like it could be like a sci fi weapon, but more with like a, I don't know, Aztec vibe to it, which is cool. Yeah. I, I like that they're leaning into the these guys are technically aliens. Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't all. We got one more preview. And before we finished, I, there was a hint that this was only some of the new Seraphon, that, that there'd be more to be revealed. But, I mean, the final unit we saw were the Saurus Warriors. And, I mean, I think these, for me, stole the show. These were my favourite kit that we saw. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, 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 they've changed, the, the design of the, the Saurus Warriors has changed quite a bit over the years, but these seem to go back to the original uh, design of the Saurus Warriors, which is cool. Yeah, these are incredible, I think. So, again, these are, these have got the much better equipped. They've got a much more solid looking shield and the weaponry. 
Uh, they've got some really, really dynamic poses. I mean, w- what was it that we saw the Saurus in the Blood Bowl? And we were like, oh, why can't they make Saurus like that? Yeah. These are better than the Saurus in the Blood Bowl. Yeah, they are. Um, really, these really guys, impressed with these. These guys have been the gym. Oh, yeah, for sure. They I mean, they've got the like the, the, the armor plates on the thighs, your sort of Saurus. I don't know who's going to be a Scar veteran or the leader with these sort of um, armor plates over, over his face. And again, some uh, sci-fi hints to his weapon there as well, with like an energy source and like almost like a circuit board design going through it. Yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, you get the standard bearer, the musician as well, which is really cool to see sort of a command squad. Um, yeah, like I say, these were, these were my favorite favorite kit that we saw. Uh, and it, it was a it was a high there was lots of really really cool kits um and yeah I'm, i mean i'm just curious to see what else is coming now since since the lbo there's been a couple more rumor engines um that have gone online on warhammer community and i think at least one of them is 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 another seraphon kit maybe two of them yeah well we've also uh, seen a new astrolith bearer as well oh this of course yeah incredible model so yeah. i mean it's is a heavily ornately armored saurus warrior with what can only be described as a stargate on a stick yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just that i've got a feet they did mention there's a, there's a lot more seraphon kits coming it wouldn't surprise me if now you've mentioned the um the saurus guard uh, obviously they're a, a different aesthetic now aren't they to the the new saurus warrior so i don't think there'll be a dual kit because these to me look like they're going to be fairly mono build in how they go together because they're quite dynamic yeah um it wouldn't surprise me if they did a separate kit for the the, the saurus guard to to match with this otherwise i think the old ones will look a little bit odd compared to them I yeah you the mean existing... the temple guard sorry temple yeah guard, yeah sorry yeah temple guard yeah well, i think I... We... Well, sorry jake we, we know that uh, this kit at least has two weapon options because in the image below um the first saurus warriors uh, it looks like they're holding like a glaive kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, which could be. I don't, I don't know what options they've got at the minute. I think they've only got close, normal close um, combat spears weapons. Spears and shields, or, or have they? And shields, so yeah. they've got the same options as, as currently. Then. Um, yeah. Now all the dinosaurs, I think, are fine. Obviously, we've got some resin ones like the the salamanders and the croxagore that could probably do with updates. And again, wouldn't surprise me if they got updated. It also wouldn't surprise me if we got a big centerpiece new dinosaur as well. I think like a full eight kit um, range refresh for these in the summer is probably not out of the question, Jay. Yeah, uh, I, and I mean, uh, uh, we we've always sort of hoped, haven't we, for new Saurus warriors? Um, but what we've seen so far has, has blown my expectations away. And like you say, we've only seen bits of it. They're still teasing things on the rumor engines and, and things like that. And what's going to be really interesting as well is. Um, using this sort of range in Warhammer Old World. Well, yeah. So a lot of a lot of the stuff that we've seen released recently has probably got, you know, a, a, an eye on the Old World. The whole Soul Blight Gravelords refresh, a majority of that could be used in the Old World. The new Slaves of Darkness, these guys, they're not silly, are they? They, they know, you know, like with the Heresy, like with some other games, if you can put out ranges that can straddle two systems, I mean, you might sell twice as many, mightn't you? Yeah. So, yeah, so I think it was a really, really good LVO. I mean, I, I think for me, the only disappointment was the, the Underworld's Warband. I think everything else was an absolute solid hit. Yeah, I think I agree with with everything you guys have just said. Um, very tempting myself to, to maybe pick these up in the future, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Jay um, 
pick these up and, and play against his first. I think for me, um, that's Slan. Um, it was the pick of the reveals for the Seraphon. And actually, um, it probably was one of my picks of Elvio uh, in general um, when it comes to stuff that we'd not seen before. I mean, obviously, Vashtor and Azrael are awesome ones, but we'd kind of seen them before Elvio. Um, but overall, a, a great a great show. Yeah, I think my my top kits would probably be the 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 raptor riding skinks vashtob admittedly we've already seen him and the uh, rbts see yeah. for me it's um I, i've been getting into kill team and warcry a lot over the last few months of so seeing both of the new boxes for these uh yeah i mean the rbts they're cool but Jukari are really nice the scenery is amazing and then the Warcry stuff, you know, looking at all the corn stuff and the the vampire monks, you know. Vampire monks are cool. They're amazing, they're absolutely amazing. But I, I do have to admit, I did look at that new Slan model and think it's about time. Like, um, don't get me wrong, Seraphon are probably my least favourite faction in Age of Sigmar. I've played <laughs> them loads. Yeah, I, I, all I'm hoping is that the new book makes them more fun to play against um mm. but yeah no for for me the, the kill team stuff and the war cry stuff as soon as that goes up for pre-order i am hitting that pre-order button we've been spoiled haven't we really this time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. awesome well it's been awesome lvo let us know what you think over on social media we'll be right back though with our top three board games So we're massive fans of, of war games. But we're also big fans of board games. So we thought for this week's top three, we'd find out what our top three favourite board games are. Now, Jay, you've got quite a sizable board game collection. So I'm going to come to you first. What are your top three? Yeah, I've got to, I've got to, I, between that and a Lego Rivendell, my house is going to be some <laughs> sort of hobby stuff. Um, yeah, it was very, we were just talking about this offline. It was very hard for me to narrow down my collection to three, uh, top three board games. Uh, but I give it a good go. And number three, and I think a couple of you guys have played this game, and we haven't played it enough because it is incredible. And it is Nemesis. Oh, ne- Nemesis nearly made my list, Jay. It's such a good game. Uh, it is. No so, <laughs> for those who don't know what Nemesis is, it's a sort of semi-cooperative board game where you each play a crew member of a ship that has been. Um, infested with aliens and if you if you think alien aliens it's very much in that sort of sort of theme that you're playing as and it's a semi-cooperative game because on your own you're not able to repair the ship's engines pilot the ship back to earth and get yourself either in an escape pod or cryo sleep you can't do it on your own you have to work with your other crew members However, each crew member has almost a, a secret sort of mission as well. And, uh, you know, to win the game, you have to survive and complete your secret objective. And your secret objective can range anywhere from assassinating the captain or making sure the ship crashes into the sun or bringing home some alien samples and that kind of thing. So, you know, you may be like working with your engineer crewmate to, to get the engines working. What, what you don't realise is that your engineer crewmate is secretly trying to sabotage the engines. It all play. It's a it's a it's a really, really thematic and fun game where you're second guessing your, your sort of your, your, your crewmates as you're trying to 
navigate through this scenario and get back to get back to Earth. Um, yeah, the, the, alien... the paranoia, the paranoia quickly sets in, doesn't it? Because even if your teammates like just acting innocently and just playing the mission, you're like, well, what are they secretly doing though? That's it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do. So you can sort of vent the air out of rooms and, you know, it might be, oh, I didn't mean to vent the air out of a room that you were in, Matt. And what secretly I did. <laughs> uh, you can sort of lead aliens into into corridors and things where your crewmates might be. You can, you know, bluff your way through things. Yes, I've definitely repaired engine three. You don't need to check it. It's definitely repaired. You can sabotage cryo tubes, but you do have to work together. The aliens are a real menace in that. And there's a really, really cool mechanic where, you're never quite sure how much damage you need to do to an alien to kill it. There's this like um, card mechanic to see how much health the alien's got left. So, you, so there's, there's, there's not much certainty in the game. You know, you can't, oh, okay, I've got four bullets. I can kill four aliens. Mm, you might not even kill one alien. And then there's a really, really cool infection mechanic where if you get attacked by aliens, there's a chance you get infected and you use a sort of hand of cards to, to do all your actions. You've got different abilities on your cards, but you can get an infected card in there. And um, there's a really cool sort of red plastic sort of um filter thing that you can put over the car so you can scan yourself to see whether you've been infected and things like this uh a chest burster inside of you so that was my number three definitely recommend it it's a really really fun game if you get some beers in some pizza in and you know stay up for four hours playing that with your mates and the more players you can get around the table playing that one the better um my second favorite game is a really really sort of interesting game um by a company called chip theory games um called too many bones um and chip theory games are sort of their speciality is making games based on like poker chips really high quality components and too many bones is like a it's almost like a, a, a an rpg boss battler type thing uh really really unique characters a really really um, unique art style to it um it's a very very tricky game I think they class it as a dice builder RPG. So as you're sort of leveling up your gear lock, your character, so you may be playing like a um, a gear lock who has a wolf companion or a gear lock who can build all gizmos and things like this, you um, you basically spend your experience points on special dice that you put into your um, hero's mat. And these dice are called skilled dice, and you may have a dice that represents a, a, some sort of grenade that you can fashion or a dice that represents um, some kind of healing potion that you've concocted. Um, it's a tricky game. It's quite hard, but it's got a lot of flavor, a lot of character, and I've had a lot of fun with that one. It's one you can solo as well. Um, mm. Punishingly hard, though. Yeah, there are different difficulty levels, so you can scale it up and scale it down. Um, but it, it, it's one of those games that you get better at the more you play because you sort of get an idea of what kind of enemies you're going to be facing in that scenario, and you can sort of build your character to face those enemies. Um, if you're coming at it like new it, it is a it has got a it's pretty tricky if you if you built your character in the wrong way you sort of handicapped yourself which you know that's a negative point for it really but there are ways to mitigate that and like i say the more experience you have playing it the, the more enjoyment and the easier it does mm-hmm. get that's my second choice my first choice was a game i picked up last year from um fantasy flight and it was the new version of descent um Ooh. yeah and i have to say I've had great fun with this game. It's actually on my table at the moment. I was playing it a few weeks ago and I've left it set up on the table. So this was, for those that don't know, Descent First Edition came out oh, years ago and it was like a dungeon crawler, your typical sort of dungeon crawler, one versus many, I believe. Um, yeah. Then there was the second edition, which you know I think added a campaign to it. The third edition is almost like a completely um, revamped version of it and it uses an app. Um, a lot of fantasy flight games now do use this app. So I think Journeys Through Middle Earth is one that also uses this app. 
And the app basically controls the story, controls all the combat, controls all your loot and all this sort of thing. And you think, well, I'm not really playing a game now. But but it, no, you are. It's still very, very good. Um, some really, really cool 3D scenery. Quite a cool story. Really interesting characters and a really, really interesting sort of combat mechanic where you use this fatigue and cards and you're flipping your cards over. If, uh, I definitely recommend people um, check out the review of that because, it, you know, if you've got like a tablet, you get the app installed on the tablet. And it's a really, really immersive game. I've had great fun with that, a Dungeon Crawler. That was my uh, number one choice at the moment. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I really want to play it. I've got the original one and it's it's a great game. So adding some of the, the app elements <clears> makes it really, really good. So I'm going to jump in next with my, my top three. So obviously we, we chatted to Isaac earlier in the show and I've, I've been doing the review and, and early on in that, we've not played a full game of it yet, but I've managed to punch out all the tokens and have a look at how the mechanics of the game work. And wow, Frosthaven looks amazing so if you play gloomhaven it's it, it's very very similar it's a dungeon crawler with lots of different scenarios but kind of threaded together with like a continuing storyline and the best way to describe it is like imagine an rpg where the the game itself is the dungeon master so you'll you'll start off and turn up to this this small settlement out in the wilderness called frosthaven and it's pretty kind of abandoned there might be a, a couple of buildings and some some ruined walls and stuff and it's the summer, which is fine. It means the weather's not too bad. And you think it might be a good idea to build up this city over the year. So get some resources to build different buildings, maybe a barracks, maybe a blacksmith, maybe kind of expand the city walls. To do that, though, you're going to need to go on some kind of dungeon dives. While this is all happening, though, you've kind of got a, a campaign with a kind of pick your own adventure kind of vibe going on. So decisions that you make on the way to the dungeon or inside the dungeon will, will kind of have branching paths. There'll be decisions on, on, on where you go and explore and there'll be stickers that go on the map, which essentially means that every person, every kind of party's game of Frosthaven will be different. What's really nice is with some legacy games, say if the four of us played a game and somebody had to sit out one week, that would have a detrimental effect on everybody. In Frosthaven, that's not the case. You could, say if Dave dropped out for a month and then came back, he'd still be able to use that same character. But obviously he'd come back to town and there might be a load of new different buildings there. Some of the party may have left and, and other adventurers come to join us. Say maybe Jay decides to play with a different person because a different kind of adventurer has visited Frosthaven. It's, it's so cool. One of my favourite elements is the diary. So maybe during a mission you'll you'll have i don't know there's there's an old woman at the side of the road do you stop her well knowing that this is going to you know slow down your your journey to the dungeon or do you just walk past ignore her and you know leave her to her fate say you know we're a bit mercenary we, we leave her to die it might say in three weeks go to chapter 100 you've got like a calendar every time you play a game of frosthaven a week passes so the seasons will change as it gets to winter things get more dangerous but this mechanic means that the, the game can say okay in three sessions you're going to see the outcome of that decision that you made which just makes it feel more natural when it happens yeah that's really cool so so yeah really really cool so we need to play through this this campaign <laughs> chatting to isaac it'll probably take you a year to play through the entire campaign playing every week so yeah 
really bit really of a commitment. Cool. <laughs> yeah, but again, because because people can drop in and out, and it's it's more about the story of Frosthaven rather than the characters themselves. Obviously, they're a big element. Yeah, it's it's a bit more. Um, uh, a D and D campaign. If somebody drops out, that might be a problem. Where with this, you could have different people jumping in and out, all with their own characters, and it, it doesn't affect things. I think that's a really nice way of doing it. Yeah, yeah I like that. Cool. I like that element because you know we we all live busy lives, um. But that sounds like a, a nice way of, you know, getting different groups of friends around to play the same game. Yeah, exactly. Which for when we've played things like Blackstone Fortress, really you kind of need to play with the same party each time, don't you? Yeah. So so yes, yeah, so that's my, my number three choice, Frosthaven. Number two is is an oldie. Um, back in the nineties. Um, there was a game called Atmosphere. If you're in the States, it was known as Nightmare. And it was a video board game. You, the the, the players, would try and get to the, the, the well of fears and not draw out your worst nightmare in order to win the game. Along the way, you had to collect keys, one from each of the realms of the dead in order to do this. All the time while you were playing it, you were being harassed by an entity known as the Gatekeeper. The Gatekeeper! with his terrible accent and uh yeah it was really good it was uh, pitched as an interactive video board game obviously he couldn't hear you talk it was just a recording on the tape but it had the illusion of interaction somebody talking to you you might ask for the youngest player and tell them to do something you'd have cards that you drew that were time stamped so when you look on the screen and it's i don't know 47 15 dave might have a card that says when that time happens scream if anybody jumps he gets a free turn it was a, such a good game and uh it's coming back there's a there's a uh, 30th anniversary edition of it coming out i believe this christmas so yeah <laughs> it was one of my favorite games ever even if it's a bit cheesy my number one game though has to be mansions of madness though so this is fantasy flight and it was the original app that they made with the app that you mentioned earlier, Jay, for Descent. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and it was, it's a kind of Lovecraft-themed uh, game. Think, like, 19th century X-Files, and you're, you're on the right, right kind of vibes. So you've got a team of investigators who are going into spooky, potentially um, haunted places, maybe touched by kind of eldritch gods from beyond imagination, and... The, the app would control the monsters. The app would control what like items that you find. And it was really, really cool. Again, there was like pick your own adventure elements to it. And it really gave you the impression that you were exploring a living, breathing place. Because while you're doing something on one side of the map, secretly the app's doing something on the other side of the map. Yeah, such a, such a clever game. And you guys haven't played that, have you? We need to, we need to have a session no, at some point. Really, no, really fun game. So, Dave, do you want to tell us your top three board games? I absolutely can, Matt. Um, so I've actually, my third choice was, um, I was, it was kind of a split decision. Uh, and seeing as one of them has appeared in Jay's top three, I've changed to the other one. So my third choice was a toss up between Too Many Bones, uh, as punishing as it, is, as it is, basically what Jay said. It's a really uh, enjoyable board game with uh, some high quality components and um, but the one i've actually gone for for my third choice uh, is another one of jay's games that wasn't in his top three and that is a game called dice throne oh dice throne yeah so what i really like about dice throne is it, it's not a traditional board game in that you know you're moving around you you have a character um you have a simple set of 
dice combinations uh, and, and you basically attack, attack your components. You roll the dice and you lock them into different moves. Um, it's very simple to play, although pretty hard to master, I, w- I would have thought. Um, you can play it up to four four players. It doesn't take much setup. Um, it's just a great quick fire board game, really. Um, perfect for those, you know, like you say, Jay, those those nights where you want to get some pizzas in and some beers flowing, uh, and you don't want to sort of spend half the night setting up a game. Um, so that, that that I highly recommend that. And actually, um, they have recently revealed a Marvel. Um, I say revealed. I think it's actually out now. Yeah, uh, a Marvel it, yeah. version, a Marvel version of this, which really appeals. Um, so I'll definitely have to keep my eye open for that. But yeah, Dice Throne was my um, a, uh, third choice. There was a dungeon crawler expansion for it as well. You can play through uh, like a little dungeon crawler with it. Yeah, I'll give that go as well. Um, my second choice um, is uh, a board game I've actually fancied getting myself and and having in the house because I, I loved it so much. Um, and it's gone through quite a few different sort of expansions and things. But I'm going to pick on the, the the original, and that is Zombicide. Oh, nice. So I played this a few times, quite I mean, some years ago now, but we had some absolute blasts with this game. So funny. Like, the characters that you play as are all quirky kind of TV and film tropes, and um, you're kind of walking around this little town, interacting with vehicles. Zombies are appearing everywhere. It An absolute real joy to play, um, trying not to make too much noise, looking for ammo, you know, scoping through buildings. I really enjoyed Zombie Side, and I'd, I'd love to play again. It's been years since I played it. Um, definitely one that I want to get, and quite a popular one as well, I think. Um, even if you're not into board games, you, you've probably seen this around, I think. Um, my top choice, though, um, I'm going to be quite boring, but it is my favourite, uh, and I'm going to have to agree with you, Jay. Uh, Nemesis is, is amazing. Um, it was really fun. I mean, if you like the film, the Alien films, this is absolutely up your street. Um, takes a bit of setting up, doesn't it? But um, yeah. basically everything that 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 um, that Jay said, uh, a, a really really good board game. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really really cool, isn't it? We we need to play soon. Well, that just leaves one person, Andy. What are your top three board games? So unlike the rest of you, I don't really play board games very much, but I have got a top three. So my third choice is one that we played at Jay's house um, quite a while ago, and it was a game called Massive Darkness. Is that, am I getting that right, Jay? Massive Darkness. It was actually Massive Darkness 2 that you played, Andy. Oh, oh. Um, which which was... I'll let you carry on, but Dave, this is one you should listen to, because if you like Zombicide, I think you'll love Massive Darkness mm-hmm. 2. So my, my big thing... to take away from that game was um, every time you entered a room you could get a um, sort of a random encounter or monsters um, and we opened the door and we got um, what Jay could only describe as one of the toughest creatures in the game (laughs) (laughs) literally in the first door and so after that I was not allowed to open any more doors (laughs) (laughs) um but no that was that was a great fun game and and you could definitely see all these sort of uh players um sort of interact uh, not interacting but sort of like 
um you had to you had to play it with other people you couldn't solo it and and hope to survive that just wasn't going to happen so sometimes you might have to go into a room with someone else just in case there was a load of um if i remember right there was a load of snake people um, yeah the- it, 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 Massive Darkness 2, it plays a bit like Diablo, the video game, doesn't it? Um, and you basically, you, you're, you're stomping through a dungeon. Um, there's monsters spawning every time you open doors and there's treasure to pick up. The monsters are carrying weapons and equipment. You can kill the monsters and grab their equipment and equip it yourself. You can craft stuff. And it, what Massive Darkness 2 did that was really, really cool was it's got uh, asymmetric um, classes. So there's a wizard character you can play as, which has its own sort of dashboard and its own mechanic for casting spells and, and um, all your spells go on cooldown, that kind of thing. You can level up and equip different spells. There's all different items and things you can find. There's a barbarian, which has this rage mechanic where you, every time you get wounded, you can move these rage tokens between different stances. Paladins can put auras down. Druids can turn into different animals. Shamans can put totems down and summon elemental creatures. It's really, really cool. The rogue has like a bag bag building thing where you put tokens in the bag and you take tokens out and then you can draw them to get extra activations and do special cool things like poison your weapons and sneak into the shadows it, it, it it's um it, it's got it, it's got the same sort of art style dave as zombie side but it's obviously it's like a, a fantasy sort of version of that i think i have played it jay oh, okay i yeah, played yeah. massive darkness yeah I, I did i did enjoy it didn't quite make the old top three but um no i i do remember enjoying it um so yeah, so that was uh, that was my third choice. Now my second and my first choice technically aren't board games, but are played on boards, so they're kind of board games. It's a board. It's a board game. Um, so my second choice is Star Wars X-wing. Ooh. So I loved this game back in. Um, I think it was the first edition when it first came out. Absolutely loved it. Loved playing as the Rebels, loved playing as the Empire. All of it was absolutely amazing. The amount of times you would crash your ship into an asteroid or crash it into another ship or you had almost like a mind game with your opponent trying to anticipate where they were going to move, what they were going to do. Um, it was such a good game and getting into it, the selling point, you know, some of the, the games you used to play like um, effectively 60 points, um, which would get you like two sort of mid-level ships or a character and then like a low-level ship. Um, it was absolutely amazing. It was so much fun. It was one of those games that you could sort of just throw a couple of ships, some cards, some dice into a small little bag. And, and just go around to your friend's house and all you ne- really needed was a table and a mat and you could you could play and the amount of games that we played i mean i haven't played it in about ooh, probably like four years since second edition came out but i've still got all the ships and all those iconic ships from star wars like the ghost from star wars rebels that's one of my favorite looking ships and getting to play that in game was was just amazing. And then you had all the sort of like different characters for different pilots, and you know being able to to play as Luke Skywalker in an X-wing and recreate scenes like trying to blow up the Death Star and all that sort of stuff was genuinely really really fun. And it came at a time when I was 
a bit tired of playing like Warhammer Fantasy and Age of Sigmar was very brand new. And I kind of just wanted a nice, relaxing game to play. And, and X-Wing definitely, definitely filled that for me. Um, but my first choice is one that we've mentioned on the podcast already. Ooh. And that is Kill Team. So mm. Kill Team, I've absolutely loved i played the first edition of kill team and it was fine but it was effectively just 40k skirmish is probably the best way i would describe it Mm. um but when the latest edition of kill team came out they really made it its own game they just scrapped the whole previous edition started from scratch and it really does show like playing some of the games like i've got um a Death Guard kill team, fully built and painted, and I've played loads of games with them. And just the fact that you don't have to have a huge board, you don't have to have tons and tons of scenery, it really does make you feel like you're playing 40k without actually having to go out and and buy tons and tons of models. And I've got the crew, um, the Fast Rider Kin Band on my paint desk at the minute, I can't wait to get them on the table and just start playing games with them. I mean, they're, they're a lot more fragile than Death Guard, so I imagine I'm probably going to mm-hmm. have to get used to them dying every so often. But, um, yeah, Kill Team has just been... They've, they've really knocked it out of the park, and especially with the sort of, like, the, the Into the Dark and Shadow Vaults, and we've got, um, is it Soul Shackles mm-hmm. um, coming out soon with the Arbites and the Jukari. Every single kill team they've done just looks absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, kill team is is definitely definitely my my favourite board game. Awesome, yeah. I think they definitely did the right thing making it its own game rather than slim down forty k. Mm. Um, yeah, no, awesome choice as well. That's our top threes. But what are yours? We'll be checking those out after this. We've told you what our top three board games are, but what are yours over on Twitter and Facebook? You've been letting us know your choices. There's some really cool ones. We'll start off on Twitter. Pete Allison says, Kill Dr. Lucky, Gore Chosen, and Keitan. Honorable mentions the original Warhammer Quest, which I'd only loosely call a board game. It's a game with a board. It's a board game, Pete. Uh, Hugh says, uh, Zolkin, uh, Concordia, and Through the Ages Second. I, I, I've never heard of them, I'm afraid. Uh, Mr. Valshevik says Kitchen Rush, says Kitchen Rush, Blackstone Fortress, and Spirit Island. Sarah Corkwell has Mansions of Madness, Twilight Imperium, which is an amazing game, and Scythe, which is also an amazing game. Uh, Starley says I really enjoy Brew, which sounds like a game that we should play. Oh yeah. Lost Ruins of Arnak with the expansion and Draftosaurus. Average Paint says Ticket to Ride, Talisman, and the Fallout board game. Adrian Hurst has Chaos in the Old World, Galaxy Trucker, and Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which should have been on my list because that's an amazing game too. Declan Waters says Hannaby, Pandemic, and Gloomhaven slash Frosthaven. Greg Prest says Betrayal at House on the Hill is amazing. Disney Villainous, also amazing. And Gloom. Uh, Daz has got Conquest of the Empire, Illuminati, and Monopoly, which I'm surprised nobody's mentioned. Uh, <laughs> William Matthews, Scythe, Game of Thrones, and Terraform Mars. Christopher McClinney has got Terraforming Mars, Spirit Island, and Sagrada. 
Mike Paints Minis, Pandemic, Blackstone Fortress, and Castle Panic. Uh, Mark Kittle's got Agrolia, Settlers of Catan, and current favourite is Wingspan, which looks a nice family-friendly game. Uh, Ezheth says Nemesis is a great one and a hit with every single person that plays it. Risk is a solid classic, and Future Risk has a lot of opportunity for shenanigans. And the Dark Souls board game is a bit messy at times, but a great adaptation of a video game. Yeah, I've not tried that. It looks pretty good, though. Uh, Tommy Busser, Kingdom Death, Bloodborne and Pandemic Legacy, with an honourable mention to War of the Ring. Bees says Discworld Ankh-Morpork is the best board game I've ever played. And I've played a lot of board games and I can't even recommend it because it's out of print. It's an absolute travesty. (laughs) That's a shame because I like Discworld. Uh, Wild West Wargaming says Zombies, which is a really cool game. Boss Monster and Backgammon. Uh, Peter Vital, Flame Rogue, The Bloody Inn and Clank. Steve H has got Gloomhaven, Intrepid and Hellboy, all wonderful cooperative games. Pete Jones says Ticket to Ride is a simple that anyone can get into. Battlestar Galactica, you need to have watched it to get it, but it's great fun if you have. And Zombies, super fun, easy rules and so underrated. Steve Pryor has got Pandemic, Jamaica and Colditz. 3Gs has got Betrayal at House on the Hill, Space Hulk and Ticket to Ride. Benji Boo has Talisman 2nd Edition and D Porter has Labyrinth, Talisman and Genius Squares. So many good games mentioned there. That, games that I own as well that we I don't think we've played collectively together. We need to we need to um to sort this out, don't we, chaps? Yes, we need definitely. an extra day in the week, I think, Matt, to be honest. <laughs> we do, we do. Uh, what have we got over on Facebook, Dave? We we again have got quite a few. We're gonna start with my yeah, my brother-in-law. Hi, Phil. Thanks for taking part in the top three. Um he has gone for in no particular order the mansions of madness second edition lords of Waterdeep, and fortune and glory with a bonus shout out to both lost ruins of anarch and fury of dracula both may uh, may well end up in my top three but only played each a couple of times so far brian dennis has gone for in third place game of thrones second edition uh, there's now also a digital version as well um his second choice is the doctor who time of the daleks he enjoys playing it with his daughter who is a massive Doctor Who fan and his top choice is Axis and Ally Access and Allies, the big global version, Europe and Pacific versions put together. Um Chris Aldersey has also gone for Mansions of Madness Second Edition. He's also gone for Dungeon Quest and Blood Bowl, of course, yeah. Hmm. Um David Anderson has gone for the classic Risk. Second choice is Ticket to Ride, and in his top choice is Settlers of Catan. Uh, Neil Holroyd has gone for Rising Sun, Root and Blood Rage. Jem Jackson has gone for Power the Game, which is a risk-like classic with a brilliant simultaneous turn mechanic. He's gone for Talisman, the original Crown of Command and Chess. Daryl Calderwood has gone for D&D, Rivals of Catan and his top choice is Gloomhaven. And to finish us off, Matt Davis has gone for Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan and Splendor in no particular order. Nice. Some, some good games there. And I don't know about you guys. I'm really allowed to roll some dice now. Yeah. 
always want to after recording this podcast. Yeah, that's, that's the downside, isn't it? Well, that that brings us to the end of another very chunky show this week, I think it's safe to say. Mm. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed the interviews. Let us know what you think of the new format, more of a focus on like interviews and stuff rather than the old weekly show was. Let us know what you like, let us know what you don't like. But before we let you go, next week, I want to know your top three Warhammer weapons. This is left suitably general. It could be something, you know, generic like a bolter or a glaive, or it could be legendary named weapons. So yeah, leave that one to your imagination there. Thought that'd be a fun one for us to to do. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's been a good show, guys. Uh, we're I, be um, on the table soon playing some Crusade, aren't we? As well. Absolutely. And can I just put in and say, yeah, uh, well done on the hosting duties this week, Matt. <laughs> no, thank you. I thank you. You can definitely have it back next time. <laughs> hope my voice has recovered but yeah it's, it's been a great show hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you all real soon bye 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 thanks for listening to the Spruce and Bruce podcast for more content remember to check out spruceandbruise.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us send us a tweet at spruceandbruise or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbruise